good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son. And I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you It were 1920, and the Southwest field and things was tough. The miners was trying to bring the Union to West Virginia, and the coal operators and their gun thugs was set on keeping them out. Them was hard people, your coal miners then. They wasn't nobody who wanted to cross. So push come to shove, and pretty soon we had us a war down there in Mango County which in them days was known as Bloody Mingo. And that's where it all come to a head, there on Tug Fork, in the town of Matewan. Okay, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, episode 54. We're talking about Mate Wan, uh, you know, John Sayles film, and about labor history in film, and uh, the way that, you know, labor and unions have been portrayed. Um, I'm sure that that'll be the tail end of the conversation, and less than, you know, less that part than, than actually talking through this movie. So, I mean, I didn't write any notes down about that. But um, uh, I am here with... Jay Underworld, graphic designer extraordinaire, movie night extravaganza co-host, Ben Burgess, uh, co- well, I guess it's not co-host, but it's... Uh, loyalist? Loyalist. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well done. Well done. Yes. Artist. Ben Burgess, artist. Artiste. Uh, <laughs> um, Conan Neutron of Protonic Reversal, co-host of this podcast, and also Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. And we are joined... Um, you know, once again by C. Derek Barn, who hasn't been on the show for quite some time. Um, we were talking in, in a little bit of early a different season direction, one, but what? <laughs> Not since early season one. Yeah, but uh, frequent guest for the first twenty episodes of of the show, and then 
And then we got a little too big for him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or he got too big for us, one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, one or the other. I don't know. The, the lines never the lines never crossed again. <laughs> um, and of course, Sean KB from the Antifada. Um, Hi. How's it going? Good. Happy to be with you guys. Bringing that big Jesus energy to the labor organization. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I already bring it to the job site. I might as well bring it here. <laughs> big Jesus E, we call it. It's different than Big Jesus D. That's another. That's a, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's for after hours, my friend. You don't bring that one to the job site. Leave that at right, home. Exactly. That's that's not work appropriate. You can no. get in trouble for that one. Jesus did. We canceled him. Anyway. Um, what do you so, think the crucifixion was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. It was a Prince Albert. Oh, <laughs> we're getting right so to guess, the heart of the matter already. I love it. <laughs> one of one of my one of my first questions going into this, um, I think that this history, I mean, both Mate One as this battle, and you know the other skirmishes around it, uh, the Battle of Blair Mountain, which is what all of this kind of culminated into, has all kind of been, I think, buried from history. And I mean, I, I think you know most people at this point have read like Howard Zinn. And he kind of uh, touch like barely touches on it when describing kind of the process of um, you know labor labor uprisings that led to kind of a, a compromise with the New Deal. Um, but I don't. Besides that, like I don't think I've heard this history really covered until you know watching this movie and and you know listening to podcasts and stuff. But like not in any kind of mainstream or like you know uh, news source or like. Even like something like NPR, I've never, you know what I mean? Like that, that's those like, oh, look, quirky moments in history or something. You know what I mean? Like this is like the equivalent of a second civil war, you know? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's a long history of it too. If you actually go back starting in like the 1880s with the recession uh, then and uh, the, the, they were like stealing car uh, train cars and uh, the Marines were chasing them across the country you know, just wild stuff, but um, again, all buried. Well, yeah, I mean, the only one we're talking about, oh, sorry, Martin. Uh, the only one we're talking about is like Thomas Frank, right? He likes talking about the wobblies mm. and stuff like that. But other than that, anyway, yeah, Varn, hit it. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the, we always talk about Debs, for example, from like 1920, but this is how he actually got his place and his respectability. Um, he kind of dropped but, the ball on this one. On, yeah, he on, did, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, how bad this was i mean it is like largely not covered this is the largest insurrection in the united states history other than the civil war um there's at least 10 at least 10,000 miners were involved and 3,000 um law people and um uh, uh baldwin uh baldwin feltsman um and even this movie as much as i love it only covers the beginning and the sexy part like at the end of the battle of blair mountain you have like the federal either the federal the state government literally bombing the mountain i mean yeah. it's it, it it gets insane um, and they still they still are now that i mean you know they're still mm -hmm. going in there trying to destroy the historical site that they've built around um like within the last couple of years they didn't want the hundred the hundred hundredth anniversary of the battle which i think was last year it was like mm -hmm. 1921 um the hundredth anniversary, they didn't want that celebrated, and they were going in there trying to literally blow the mountaintops off of Blair Mountain. In terms of how this is, uh, you know, this this film portrays it versus the the regular ass American history we get in school or we get on the History Channel or PBS or whatever. Uh, this story, um, we'll, we'll get labor history in the United States to an extent. Uh, you'll maybe get a homestead, you get a Pullman strike, 
but really the um the main history starts at uh with a new deal essentially because what the new deal did was manage to integrate um these sort of class contradictions and uh whatever into the state and into the political economy but before that and this movie i think is really good at portraying it it was literally the wild west you know this wasn't just you know the cops or the national guard although they would often come in this was private power on private power you know this yeah. is um where equal Primaries. rights prevail uh rule rule decides right or um what is the marx quote where where equal right meets equal right um, force decides force decides exactly this this is this is the situation and so that's the first like half of american labor history right there and it, yeah. it it can't be talked about because it's very it's very um frightening and very contradictory towards what this country is supposed to be right i mean it, it is no it is no accident that the baldwin feltsmen are not really dissolved until 1936 which is um you know when basically the new deal incorporates uh la labor unions into the democratic party apparatus enough that they feel like they don't need um basically an armed paramilitary um of either the baldwin right. fells or the pinkertons to take them out in any given moment which by the way pinkertons are still around today oh yeah you know what they're doing now the pinkertons you, you gotta love this a lot of what they do is not just corporate security but uh helping create like evacuation plans for various capitalists uh you know if an insurrection were to pop up or some sort of flood or whatever the pinkertons will be there to like scoop you up you know scoop up bezos in a helicopter and fly him to a secure bunker yeah so they're still working directly for capital at this late date just in maybe different ways just like well, uh, G or Blackwater does too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So, so, and I, if I can just interject here, the it's also just notable to see how how it's covered. Because first of all, we just don't cover labor period in this country at all. Like, there's just you would think it never existed. That uh, you know, unless you like are from like a labor family or something. Like I am. Like my dad's a lifelong uh, union electrician, so I knew all about it. You know, from early age, good, bad, and the ugly. But like, look at like even like the Wikipedia article for the the Matewan massacre, right? It like calls it the Battle of Matewan. Like like there's such, you know, the articulation and framing of the language is done like in such a way to be like quote unquote neutral, so as to make it just sound like something that was not what it was. And I think that's something that's really interesting. And I think it's pretty bold for sales to, uh, who's a pretty bold guy, frankly, to make a yeah. movie about this. Because people weren't looking for this, to be clear. No. People were not like, hey, sure, it'd be great if we had a movie about that massacre of, of all the labor people. In 1987, like right? Like, we got to yeah. put that in context. I, this is Reagan's America. No one was looking for it. I was trying I, uh, to think I about it. I have a yeah, clip putting ahead. it into context. I mean, uh, Sean, you can, I mean, before we could, before we play the clip, you can, uh, I, I just, I have a clip uh, putting into context why sales chose to make this film at this time. Oh, perfect. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's all I was awesome. going to talk about. Go ahead. It was just as hard to make as any independent movie. So, you know, wasn't what it was about. It was that we were trying to make a movie outside of the, you know, the studio system um, to the point where we thought we had the money when we thought we could make it for a little under $2 million. And then the people who said they were gonna put up the money called and said, oh, you know, that bank loan we were gonna to get to finance them, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so a year and a half to two years later, we finally did make it for about twice that much money, which just our luck was when independent movies, there were distributors who actually put money up front for movies and I put some money in and we had some other people 
you know, independently put some money in and, and I think we made it for about three and a half, a little more than three and a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. So the subject matter wasn't what was hard. It was just making a fairly ambitious movie, mm -hmm. you know, outside of a, of a system where, you know, Chris Cooper, who was the lead in it, had never been in a movie before. Um, and that was the good thing about it, which is that, you know, making a movie that far on the, the, you know, the margins of things, you didn't have to say, well, who's bankable? You know, he wasn't even recognizable, much less bankable. <laughs> yeah. um, why, why making it then? It was a, the Matewan massacre was an incident that I had heard about first uh, when I was hitchhiking um, through the West Virginia and Kentucky Hills and got a lot of rides from coal miners right during this kind of awful thing that happened within the UMW where there was going to be an election. And Tony Boyle, who was the incumbent, um, was running against a reformer named Jockey Oblonsky. And it was really bitter and there was a lot of violence and stuff and people were just kind of shaking their heads and saying, well, we're gonna have another Matewan massacre on our hands. And eventually, um, Tony Boyle had um, Jackie Blonsky and his wife and daughter murdered. Murdered, yeah. See, in I, their home. Um, and that From, didn't turn out well. In Harlan County, USA. I in think Harlan. that's a, a serious um, yeah. plot point in that documentary, yeah. if anybody's seen it. And uh, and at the same time, I, 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 you know, having, having been in some unions, having grown up around unions in Schenectady, New York, back when the General Electric Company pretty much you know, was the main employer there before they went elsewhere. Um, I, I kind of knew of the a bit about labor history, but also um, the first thing that Ronald Reagan did really almost just to do it and, and lift his leg on the thing um, when he got into office was bust the Air Traffic Controllers Union. And kind of, he picked that union, I think, or his advisors picked it wisely and that those people made pretty good money. People didn't think they were kind of poor working stiffs who had to punch in every day. Um, the fact was almost everybody in that union did not get their jobs back. Um, and that within about a year of the new people coming in, they got almost everything that those people were, were asking for. So it was very symbolic. I'm just going to screw this union kind of thing. And I felt like, oh, there were fewer and fewer people who were unionized. I was in about four guilds in the entertainment industry at the time. But I just felt like, oh, maybe we need a reminder of just what it was like when there weren't any unions and, and why they formed and how difficult it was to form them. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's also put it in context. The last movie you did before this was The Brother from Another Planet. Which is awesome, but like it's is basically film. from another planet compared to this film, right? <laughs> I never saw that. No, yeah, it's, I, it's I, good. Watch it; it's it's really good. Okay. Yeah. Next next movie night extravaganza. We'll do that. I, 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 I love yeah. it. And we should also do Lone Star at some point too, because that one also is, is fantastic. But anyway, let's stay on. Task. But he's got he's got a uh, he's got kind of low key uh, Jesse Ventura energy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I think that that's definitely first of all, as as you said, Conan, take a drink. Take it's a Ron drink, Reagan, Reagan. friend of show. Um, <laughs> we talked to him. We talked to him through the seance machine. Um, <laughs> but um, it's on the way back machine uh, on uh, archive.org if you're wondering. Yeah, it's actually easier to contact Nancy and then because Nancy's the big you know seance astrologer person. Oh yeah, that's right. Show, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, and she'll she'll hook you up with uh, with Ronnie. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> she'll make the connect. Yeah, he still somehow he still has Alzheimer's though. Um, in you know, in, hell. in in hell, which is in weird. Hell. He's like the first person to ever get uh, yeah. onset. It's never uh, happened before. Alzheimer's. Most people get cured when they go down there, but not Ron. It's, it's never happened before, or everyone forgot about it. One or the other. <laughs> hey, everybody, a little Alzheimer's. Humor. Biden might be the second one to get. Uh, ah, you know, uh, Thatcher you know. too. Thatcher famously died with uh, Alzheimer's as well. There's gotta there's gotta be some weird like connection between like neoliberalism and Alzheimer's where it's <laughs> yeah. like the more neoliberal you are, like the higher your chances are of just your brain. Because you're not using your, your brain well enough. Yeah. <laughs> just like how being like a right wing far right operative turns you into Gollum. Like, like, corrupts everyone so it's like wow that dude's 32 good lord <laughs> paul rove is paging um so yeah i think that that's first of all like it is it is this big moment i mean when you hear anybody kind of talk about his like the history of the reagan years like showtime did that uh reagan's documentary which i think was i mean it was pretty good i, I don't necessarily think it had um like analysis past the point of kind of a liberal like Reagan gutted the welfare state. This is how bad things got. You know the AIDS crisis, like that kind yeah, they, of. They, like, they let the AIDS was killing the right people, so like they let it yeah. happen. Like maybe it wasn't explicitly stated or framed the way I would have liked it, but. So so, but that was like a good documentary series, and it does touch on the fact that kind of um, you know the first thing that Reagan really does is crush this union. Like that, that's the first kind of signal that he's gonna yeah the air traffic controllers yeah. Very that's the just arrived in prison take down the biggest dude right yeah. Reagan did. and and they had yes. and they had supported him that the uh air traffic controllers because uh carter had been so bad on on labor and and workers rights like you know with all the strikes that had happened uh which is kind of like the last gasp i guess of this of this labor activity um you know as the democratic party ran as far away from them as possible and tried to grab kind of this uh more professional professional managerial kind of uh you know pmc type of person i mean i know varn hates that you know it's not necessarily a class i know you've had the, the, this conversation a bunch of times but that kind of person i think that kind of elite um you know professional is is kind of who the democratic party is grabbing for during this time period and realizing that they no longer kind of need uh anybody in the in the labor movement so i they they, they start trying to actively distance themselves from labor which turns into the dlc in the 90s and turns into third way and all that you know, i like to, here i like to think of that story i like to complicate that story a little bit because i don't think it was simply a political choice on the part of the Neither. democrats you had the entire sort of new deal post-war consensus uh goes into deep systemic structural crisis in the 1970s and so not only are the democrats moving away from labor by the time you know carter is president but also labor our workers are running away from the democratic party and also running away from the unions as well the 1970s was yeah. famously you know the the last huge strike wave that we had and it was not completely but it was it was often a wildcat strike wave yeah because you had this entire sort of edifice that we mentioned before when we were talking about uh integrating the the working class integrating the unions into not just the democratic party but also into american legal and political structures that was starting to break down in the 1970s so you know yeah, because uh, the leadership yeah. of the seven you know in the 70s went through the uh, uh the mccarthy era you know uh getting getting purged and whatnot um uh mm, you yeah. know with the, with the red scare so yeah uh but and it's then, also harder to and then the leadership the franchise shop the, like, the leadership was like supporting um you know the war in vietnam so so like you know in the 60s so so by the time the 70s rolled around the leadership just wasn't there like it used to be yeah well oh barn go ahead 
No, I, I, I just, I, I totally agree with all that. But I just, I, I like Sean think that there are larger, there are larger economic forces that were driving a lot of this, and what we're really looking at is the epiphenomena of it. Um, and I, I don't think we can under underplay how big a deal, uh, like the end of the, the the middle period of the New Deal was for getting labor. I mean, the National Labor Relations Board pretty much makes unions um, subject to regulations in such a way that like solidarity strikes are effectively illegal. Coming together as uh, forming political parties, dual cardism is effectively illegal. Like everything that have built labor parties in the 19th and early 20th century in Europe, even in Israel, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans jointly put a squash on in the 40s and 50s. Um, and then you had the AFL-CIO with the AFL purging all the communists out, out of the unions. But that, like you said, during the McCarthy period. Um, but there's also the profitability crisis in the seventies. Yeah. Um, and it's actually interesting cause it's very similar to the 1920s, which is like the beginnings of a real profitability squeeze too, which is why the conditions in these mines and these labor camps get so bad. You see a brief uptick in profitability in the mid twenties and then the great depression happens. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of different, parts of stuff like the fact that kind of the 70s are the decade of like not being able to trust anything right like mm -hmm. there's a long there's a long time where the intelligence state has kind of gone around and just you know assassinated murdered destroyed whoever they want and and that's kind of being uncovered in the 70s at the same time as watergate at the same time as um you know what i mean like a, a the fall of saigon like, yeah and and a decade before that you know uh bobby kennedy going around and 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 kind of doing this um well i'm gonna hold mafia people accountable and throughout that process, it comes out, you know what I mean? Like that, uh, all the stuff like Jimmy Hoffa and like, you know, so that all of that kind of at the same time um, makes it so that, you know, any kind of organizational structure on one hand, corruption being shedded or, you know what I mean? Like th these things are being exposed. People feel more informed. But when there are actual organizational efforts that require um, like a, a structure to be in place for people to get more benefits, they're running away from that into this like individualism. And it's a cultural shift. It's like, you know, we can't trust anything. Vietnam happened. We can't trust the government. They're going to send us, you know, into Vietnam. Like this is, and we can't trust, you know, labor unions. Everything's corrupt. Yeah, the hard hat, you know, riot happened yeah. where, where yeah. they uh, um, were attacked the hippies. Those um, are my people. You know? Yeah, your people were attacked your people. Woo, carpenters go. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> you, you know, like, people I, who look like you. Yes, exactly. And, and I think who think so like important. I do. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I think it's so important to remember, right? Because people think of like labor as, as uh, you know, being like this this utopian idea of, of what uh, unions should be. But I'm really glad that in the movie you have James Earl Jones' character that is, let's just go ahead and charitably say, not looked upon favorably when he like comes in to uh, talk to them about joining up. In fact, it's like pretty overtly racist. But that tracks because even uh, more recently, right? You know, like like think about the, na the nationalistic uh, sentiments coming from. Uh, auto workers and whatnot during like the, during the eighties when like the foreign cars were, were coming in stuff like that. Like it got pretty ugly and I liked that it was addressed, but it wasn't like the main focus. Like the idea is like, nobody overcome this. And I think that's important to tell because people don't want to tell that story sometimes like, no, you yeah. should tell it because it shows you that like 
you can overcome it and there is more power uh, being together. This well, was a class reductionist. Yeah. This film was class reductionist. <laughs> it did not do intersectionality. Well, yeah, was, there was I no heard growth. I heard uh I heard uh, Adolf Reed actually, you know, edited the script down in a in, in a cave and, <laughs> and the bread and more female Pinkertons. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, but it's an interesting point when you look at the uh, Appalachian labor history. The South never unionized union by the time the south was able to begin to do so um uh, they were able to use um black strike uh strike breakers and scabs consistently which also accelerated labor tensions and when the wobblies and stuff gave up after the battle for blair mountain a lot of those workers went directly into the clan um yeah uh, w.e.d du bois talks about this explicitly so it's it's one of those things where there's a feedback loop here. Um, and it's also an interesting factoid. In the 1920s and 30s, the average white worker um, in the South made less than the average black worker in the North. And we don't even want to talk about what the average black worker in the South made, which was pretty much nothing. Um, and, and the reason why was they were able to use this, um, this strategy pretty effectively um bear mountains one of the times where they did overcome it and um which which is interesting i mean it's west virginia that wasn't kind of uh you know that broke away from the confederacy and but the reason that they broke away from the confederacy and that they were able to kind of um like in other in other parts of the country right there's a lot of strike action that isn't necessarily seen as as like as as dehumanizing i guess or the, the workers involved are not as dehumanized as they are in west virginia like the, the way that workers are treated in West Virginia still kind of is almost like these are backwards hillbillies. They're not worth anything to anybody. You know, like um, I was listening to Revolutionary Left Radio today and they did a, hey, a three-hour episode of, of uh, they did a three-hour episode on the Battle of Blair Mountain. And I, I was like, you know, I was walking around and, and listening to it. And, and it's just, it's crazy. You know, Sid Hatfield, who's the, the cop in this, you know, in this movie, but also was kind of the, the hero, the hero that was birthed from, uh, Matt one, which, which like, you know, you don't necessarily get, you don't necessarily get like the mate one, um, like, uh, you know, that, that image from the end of it. Cause at the end they're like, oh, and then he died on the, on the, on the steps of the, uh, you know, of the courthouse. But like, that was a huge event. That was a huge event, not just for, uh, West Virginia miners, but it was a huge event for kind of workers across the country who were like, oh shit, this guy just got gunned down on the fucking steps of, of a courthouse and nobody did anything about it. He was going into court and like, they were just like, hey. Like it's a mafia hit, pretty much. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that was a huge thing, and they were talking about on Revolutionary Left Radio how um, the, the the thing was that like uh, the, the New York Times came out and said, yeah, well, this is because he he lived by the sword, he died by the sword. Like this is just you know kind of like a backwards redneck that you know everybody down there is killing each other, and there's no real reason behind it, and you know this is just what yeah, he was asking back for. To the Hatfield and McCoy uh, wars, which yeah, kind of right, created that yeah. stereotype. into the I, archetypes. Yeah. Right? I don't know if he's related to... to those Hatfields. Uh, adopted um, by. Yeah, he's okay. adopted into it. Yeah, yeah. I, One... I, I meant to look it up, but I found a fantastic um, hour-long thing from somebody from West Virginia covering this with like all the court records reconstructed from from a couple different sources. Wow, I didn't find that. I wish I had found that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really good. Um, I'll uh, I'll dig that back up and, and send you a link. One of the really interesting things I thought of when I saw this movie is how um, site specific um, the, the the set is. Like so, like the context of it is um, mm. the backwards backwards underdeveloped uh, hill country of West Virginia uh, in the in the nineteen twenties, um, and 
one thing I think that is interesting is is how like this extractive capital operates differently from say like industrial capital right right so what you're what one of the reasons why in, in the very beginning of the movie there's that really incredible scene where they're talking about uh the history of the iww and they're talking about joe hill they're talking about big bill haywood um the the, the miners union was like was very militant and also connected with the iww and the reason for that is that this wasn't this was a different proletariat in a sense there's a different phase of proletarian development all the way up until the new deal era as well where talking about itinerant work you know going from the forests and, and being a lumberjack during the fall going to do uh mine work in the winter and then going to pick crops uh in the springtime maybe going to do longshore work in the summer there was like a large part of the american working class who was itinerant essentially like newly proletarianized workers uh, yeah. To which like the IWW was a form that kind of organically rises from that. And when you're talking about a place like Blair Mountain and the militancy of that, it's because A, these people are wage laborers for like maybe the first, maybe second generation, right? So this is a new sort of like historical experience. But also, too, it was literally the Wild West because like you didn't have big factories you're talking about capital like going into with railroads like inserting itself like driving itself through the mountains in order to like basically infiltrate and profit from and exploit uh these people who had up until then been very 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 uh isolated it's a very unique and interesting experience and it kind of it kind of still exists i guess but kind of doesn't yeah i mean if you think about there's some corollaries to it to in the developing world there's still extracted capital and in appalachia today um but the coal mines aren't nearly as important uh, out here in the mountain west we also have a lot of extractive capital and it works somewhat similarly but yeah i mean the one thing we got to remember is even the even the uh the the non-immigrant labor is they've been sharecroppers for um for probably the first hundred years that they've been in the on this continent um they're scotch irish most of them a lot of them came over as indigenous servants um these people have been the low end of the of the u.s class totem pole the entire time and we also have to think about regional industrialization because the south and the west were not industrialized yet the South yeah. wouldn't be industrialized till the fucking 1950s. Mm-hmm. Like wild. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and you, and you see in, in this, I mean, in this movie specifically, um, like bringing it back to this, you see like the, they're living in feudal conditions, like, and mm-hmm. the feudal conditions kind of come to them in the fact that maybe you owned land at some point and, you know, uh, like more land, right. Because this is kind of a rural, a rural um, isolated area. Like, before they kind of discovered, hey, we can really mine and like extract as much coal as fucking possible from this region specifically. Like you had people that maybe owned some land and came in and either, uh, you know, someone someone realized how much coal there was. And so I guess some of the people that were investing in this were even in England. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they were in places that were so far away and so far removed from the actual place itself. They would have people come in and say either uh, we this is our land now like you there's no deed to this land this is our land and this is the deed the government has given us a deed or they would kind of buy it out at a really 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 low price right and if you have all this land and you're like well I mean it's, it's almost like kind of um fracking I mean no but it's almost like kind of a, a almost kind of in an indigenous way of looking at land stuff right like mm-hmm. people in in rural communities that are that isolated it's kind of like you have a bunch of land and someone and someone could come in and use the apparatus of uh, like a state agency 
to or like a corporate agency to just say, no, we own this land after you kind of just had the land with your, you know, with your family. Yeah, maybe maybe like, you like yeah. hunt small game on it or something, but you're not yeah. really using it all that much. And then they're coming in and waving money around. Yeah. And, you, and you hit on an important point for us that I think that one thing I really like in the movie is it, it like at the, at the outset, it talks about like you'll be paid in company script. You can yeah. buy this at the company's store. The idea being that even when they're ostensibly paying these workers, like whatever pittance that they're paying them, it remains in the system, which isn't really that much different than like, you know, Facebook and Google, where the, the whole thing is designed to like keep you within those mm -hmm. organization and keep like that that resources flowing back to the organization. Well, they've been you know, floating, they've been floating the idea us. of uh, of some of these tech companies creating company towns again in the same system where it's like i mean they're up. almost yeah. there like a, fr a friend of mine i don't want to narc him out but a friend of mine like had me go uh like just, hey do you want to see you know where i work and it was one of these big tech places and, and they, it was and, and it they, was hold they, on they hold on this is, the idea. It, it's gonna take like it's gonna take yeah, yeah. two more seconds for me to okay, finish okay. this it was alarming how much stuff there was like hey you can go to this vending machine if you scan your card then it just like debits off of your account and this and that and how much it was like wow Everything here is designed to just keep you here the entire time working. Everything. And they had like full on restaurants, like every coffee place you could think of. And but the idea was they just want to keep you like ensconced into this this place where you can't leave, nor would you want to. And that's that's a different thing. So go ahead, Forrest. I'd say. No, so they've they've floated this idea. Sorry, I, I just thought of it because we were we like brought this part of it up. They've floated this idea in places like uh Wall Street Journal and stuff, where they're like, you know what they could really do? They could have company towns. Company they've towns. literally floated right. the idea of, and but then you realize how sorry to bother you kind of does that a little bit, yeah. you know. <laughs> but but you realize how stripped of uh of of kind of context and histor historical materialism that we kind of are as a culture and like our like our own history like things that happened here because they can kind of float the idea of company towns and make them seem kind of like almost like a cool like oh this is going to be different this is like a tech dormitory this is a different uh a different you know thing than a company town but you know maybe the name company town could even come back and you realize how stripped of context people have been uh you know because like stuff like uh you know that like Mate One wasn't even one of the worst, uh, no. like company. Like it was actually one of the better ones. They had their own mm -hmm. mayor and they had a sheriff that was not, um, a, a, like a company man. Yeah, you had the, the uh, yeah, you had the <laughs> Ludlow <laughs> massacre seven years before this, I believe, right? Yeah, 1913, which was a similar situation and way bloodier even. Yeah, one of the things that actually this even plays down is, I mean, it hints at it, but it was much more explicit. Was the way they would manipulate currency uh their own script and their own prices so they often drop script pay up up uh exchange and then they would invalidate the currency periodically and how to get the currency valid was often yeah. literally having the miners wives <laughs> sleep with um the foremans and stuff Jesus like Christ. that was part of this system and it was so it was like it would perpetually not just you know humiliate you but it would like um it would open up your family to all kinds of stuff. And that's why it got so bloody. Um, but they would, they would do that. People would have to go, wives would have to go sleep off the payoff script debt because they changed the prices. Um, and it was a totally internal economy. Right. 
Yeah. Well, the it's other like thing, economic hitman stuff, but in its infancy, right? I mean, it's, it's, like the it's, same it's thing similar we do to like other countries that we want to get leverage over. Uh, it's like in the in the same way that um, sharecropping is like a kind of semi-feudal holdover, like the fact that people end up in um, in debt peonage essentially and are tied yeah. to the land in like a semi-serfdom. This is uh, a, a very similar system. You know, and it's, and it's like, but the re the reproduction of the workers is like it's all internal to the production process. Sharecropping, I mean, sharecropping is kind of an interesting system, though, because it's been, uh, you know, because we fought the Civil War and, you know, we like we, we understood kind of uh, as a society that, that you know, slavery was wrong. It could get um, kind of compared very easily to slavery. Like at the same at the same time, though, there were black workers in this system, in the script system that, that were um, literally saying this is slavery. Like we are in slavery. This is what yeah. slavery was when. <laughs> When you know what I mean, like before we had like broken away from the Confederacy, this is this is what slavery was, and this history gets gets buried. It's like ah, well, it's mostly backwards white people, like you know, and they're probably racist, and you know, just don't don't even listen to to, to this history of it. Another thing is that um, with with the script system, um, a uh, an an extremely um, and I think that I think that John Sayles in this movie kind of does want to explicitly um c compare this to slavery, right? Because slavery is the evil that we've all kind of had from the, from the onset and we all understand that that's the evil and uh you know you know whatever whatever situation white miners were in it's like well look there were there were black miners in this they were uh immigrants that they literally had kidnapped which it doesn't talk about in the movie but literally a lot of them were just brought over yeah, that's my on, wife's family right there yeah so they so they were like literally kidnapped off the boat they would have someone waiting for them and then the person would just literally like grab them into a thing and put them into it like bring them to a mine and um and and they would get massacred by workers there because the workers are like well these are scabs which they are but like you know so there's all of these conflicts that are happening with you know a divide and conquer me methodology put forth by the coal companies and you know by the state sure. you know what i mean like the, the keep point at each it, other's throats right like yeah it'll, it'll make sure they're not at ours that's that's classic maneuver but a, but a big part of the demands throughout this entire thing was number one end the script system. We wanted to get paid in cash and then you know be able to spend it wherever. Which, yeah, you sh like obviously should be paid in, in cash. And the other thing was that even when they're giving out script, they're just kind of you know giving out whatever the the amount like the money is uh, in their own currency, which you can't spend anywhere else. So they get the money back. On top of that, um, they had their own weight checkers that you would bring in a ton of coal and they would say, oh sorry, that's not a ton because you're getting paid by the ton. That's not a ton, uh, you know, or or they would like um, make the, you know, they would have things that hold the coal that was bigger than a ton. They'd be like, oh, well, so they would they would constantly put their own thumbs on the scale, even when workers were getting like miners were getting paid uh, in company cash. Like <laughs> they're getting yeah. that money back and they're like, yeah, well, we don't even want you to to profit at all. Like a day's work, if you're not bringing a ton of coal, you're not going to pay anything. So it's like literally um, one of the one of the big. Um, demands that they had in, in the beginning of, of, of all of these, uh, you know, of, of these battles, strikes, like just in general was uh, we want to have our own, which is an entirely reasonable demand, our own person weigh these, uh, weigh the coal. Right. Yeah. Like, like have like a, like a neutral arbiter, like basically not have it be dependent upon the, the moods and or ability or interest in downplaying what it is to devalue that uh that um that load right and, and and i think that that's that became more standardized as labor practices 
kind of became more organized that they'd be like, hey, you can't do that anymore. Like, we know that you're like fucking with us here and we're not going to let you do that anymore. This this again goes back to the uh, to the pre um, uh, National La- National Labor Relation Act of, uh, of 1935 is that there's a reason why um, unionism in this country still tends to to this day more so than, than say in Europe or in Asia. Uh, tends to be more business unionism and tends to be relatively more conservative is because there didn't exist a str- there didn't exist the federal state capacity uh, for there to be any regulation of this class contradiction. And so when workers stood up and say the Knights of Labor right after the the Civil War or in the AFL, which arises in the in the 1880s and is like the first real longstanding conservative uh, craft uh, union in the in the United States, there was already a deep mistrust of state power on the part of the unions. And there was also, I guess what you could call almost like a, like a libertarianism within the unions that said like, let's, let's keep the state out of this and let's do this like direct and face to face bargain directly with the company and fight the company directly. And I think this is one of the big differences between the United States and say a place like Germany where, you know, there was like a, there was all there was a there was a strong state by what Varn like the 1890s that was trying to, right. to forge a sort of class compromise, right? Yeah, and so and a big a big oh Varn you, you can go I just no, go I, ahead. I wanted to add a little addendum to to this which is a big reason that um Blair Mountain failed is because World War One had just happened like literally just happened a few years before that and a lot of the you know a lot of the miners had been soldiers or had family that were soldiers and they were like well we we're not we're not angry at the government we're not angry at the state. We're, we're just angry at, you know, our bosses. So when, when the military came in, like the U.S. military, a lot of these miners, most of them turned around and said, well, we don't want to fight the, the – Conan, I pay you in script. Why are you, why are you telling everybody that? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, but every – no, but like there's – Wait, there's wait, Conan that, gets paid? <laughs> not get paid. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but there's a big – there's a big uh, – there's a big, you know, on the part of um, – like you know, the U.S. military finally they come in. There's a there's a kind of a gap where they're like, oh, well, we're gonna have a battle. But then um, these uh, you know these these Baldwin Phelps detectives come in and literally massacre more miners after most of them have gone home uh, right before Blair Mountain. And then they're like, well, you would literally just and it's not a it's not an action that like would warrant. Um, it's literally just like vengeance. Like you've embarrassed us. We're gonna massacre as many. They they take some of them hostage and they like massacre a bunch of other ones. And that's when the U.S. military gets called in. And the second military, you know, uh, people like linked with the state kind of um, come into this camp. They're like, all right, well, we don't want to fight the U.S. government. We're patriotic. We're, we, we just want our own. So they see the state as a separate entity, mm-hmm. uh, the state government as a separate entity from the federal government and the federal government as someone that's not their enemy. That is the, you know, a neutral arbiter. And like there's right. kind of a question if they were willing to go all the way and just go, you know what, we're going to like use the guerrilla war tactics on the actual like u.s military national guard like you know how far could this have gone protracted people's war sorry in appalachia the 1920s united states let's fucking go (laughs) i mean there's in the united states has conditions that don't exist in europe as far as the structure of our government one the federal government is is so far removed from most people's lives until the 20th century, it's barely an entity. We, we, you have to remember, like, we barely had unified money. Yeah. Like, like that's like all these things that we take for granted post-World War One are modern things. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, 
The establishment of a national bank in the United States was like fought over for most of the of the 19th century. Um, the um, the fact that that federal rights apply to states is a artifact of the post Civil War period and wasn't consistently enforced again until about the 1920s because usually the the Supreme Court, which that's another rant about why leftists and liberals have trusted it ever, mm. but um, uh, would normally weaken even amendments passed. I mean, uh, the slaughterhouse cases, for example, weaken the um, the federal supremacy cause and, and birthright citizenship and all that stuff gets complicated by that. Um, and so what you had was like, who were you going to appeal to now? Interestingly, if you want, if you have similar labor disputes, actually, the similar labor disputes happen this way in China, where uh, Chinese workers will, will rebel against local companies and and, and even provincial governments, but uh, are, are fairly deferential to um, the to the central PRC. So a similar structure happens. Um, I, I would actually say that, like the the the, the labor militancy in Asia. Um, is is interestingly not um, a, as big a part of 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 China's history because um, the union movement was so new there when the PRC was established and the All Chinese Union has sort of subsumed it all um, and all form uh, all strike actions that happen today are all definitionally wildcats. So I mean, you see you see this happen in other countries. It's not totally unique to the United States, but it's why we don't look like Europe. Um, and I mean, the, I think the other thing is like, we always talk about core and periphery with regards to the U.S. and other countries, but there's core and periphery within the U.S. And oh, yeah. Appalachia has always been the periphery, still is. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's places in Appalachia that were getting electricity in the 70s. So like, yeah. you know. Not to mention that's that 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 core periphery or like the urban rural divide, whatever you want to call it, still to this day is used by capital, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. The ability to move within a federal jurisdiction and have different, you know, tax structures and different proletarians, you know, who can be exploited to various different degrees is like one of the the another huge thing that separates the United States from some place like Europe. But and and it's kind of I mean, West Virginia feels like somewhere that's fallen fallen between the cracks in every possible sense. And I mean, on purpose, right? Capital has been able to extract resources from there the same way, like it's kind of America's third world within America. Like, it, like it's, but the fact that, uh, you know, they, they stuck with the union in the civil war also meant that like the Confederacy as, you know, Southern states gained power post, uh, you know, post civil war and kind of got back to the status where, you know, they could literally hold up, um, negotiations or, or any kind of legislation or any policy they wanted. Um, Conan, I just noticed you got one of your cats with you. And I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Wanted to get in yeah, the discussion. I'll be back in one second. <laughs> um, no, but like, so there's this, there's this, uh, they're the periphery of the periphery, like the Southern states that are willing to fight for Southern, you know, a, a system that was relentlessly exploited of a system that was relentlessly evil. But still, they're willing to fight for their own interests and kind of make their state, um, you, know, you know, they're trying to extract as much capital for their state as they possibly can and for that system as they possibly can. West Virginia didn't even get that. Like, West right. Virginia got kind of left behind by both, like, union states who were like, Worst of well, both this worlds. Is, yeah, like, they're, they're like, well, you know, we're industrial up here. 
these are backwards rednecks. And they got left behind by southern states that were like, yeah, well, this is someone that's like, this is a state that's like a traitor. So, you know, when coal companies kind of come in, move in um, uh, just, just a little bit later and just start like grabbing up the land, nobody, there's no love lost uh, anywhere within, yeah. within, you know. <laughs> One thing I would say is interesting about West Virginia is tied to that. Like, so the South always has been used as a bulwark of cheap labor. It still is even like it really still is partly because of black and brown people, partly because it was never unionized, partly because of, of, of a thousand reasons. But there was a planter aristocracy that was kind of reincorporated into the bourgeoisie in the South. Yeah. And they really come to power in the 1920s and 30s. That's when all the stupid Confederate statues go up and all that. They're not from the 19th century. Yeah, they're they're uh, there to make people the right people feel bad. Right. And they're there to make the white people feel bad in the 20s and 30s. Like yeah. not. Yeah. So that that's important. It, it's um, important. But, it's important to remember because they're they're there as to remind. They're there right. to remind all the people that should be reminded of the things that they're meant to be reminded of, and right. to say that they're like heritage or whatever is horseshit. Anyway, that's a separate. Topic. Yeah, that's not, but it's, it's it's a total. It's a but the the reason why it's kind of important though is keeping the tensions between black and white workers was a way to suppress wages in the South. And you got to remember, like up into the 1940s. You know, the only major industry in the South outside of agriculture was textiles. And if you know anything about uh, the way capital works, textiles are like the industrial capital you don't want because it's usually, you know, where the shittiest, cheapest uh, sweatshoppy kind of conditions go. It's and the other thing, yeah. yeah. And the other thing that's like that is extractive capital. And both were all over the Southeast. But in West Virginia, there is no planter class to integrate. They didn't right. exist there. So there's nobody to bring in uh, to, like, be the responsible bourgeois to, like, make some kind of, you know, uh, detente with a former aristocracy. All you – they literally just seen – that entire state's literally just seen as shithills. And they kind of still are, like – Has anybody uh, been there? Yeah, I, 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 I never I, have. I'm a Yankee. Sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, my, my, my on tour, and it's family. always as as eye opening as ever. But it's like, oh yeah, these guys. My, my wife's family is state. Italian who emigrated to to uh, Bluefield, West Virginia, mm -hmm. and and Bluefield gets mentioned a bit. Um, it's wild that that that's where the papers for the um, uh, for for the uh, uh, the the uh, private terrorist um, uh, ended up being at because uh, uh, I've been to Bluefield. Um, Bluefield is a very, very, very small town. You have to actually, if you're coming from the north, you have to drive 30 miles south of it and then drive up through a mountain to get there. It, it is, um, you can't Which is get pretty typical West Virginia stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, but just to paint a picture for, for, for people, like, like, and, and Bluefield is like where um, uh, they were, where that train everybody was waiting for at the end of the movie. That's where they're waiting for it to come from, which had like the the uh, um, arrest warrants for the uh, uh, for, for, for the um, thugs, uh, the you know the anti-union thugs. Which, yeah. by by the way, talking talking about that that kind of battle at the end of it, um, I I think is it's a fascinating like because it's kind of this really dramatic moment. I guess in real in like it lasted like all of two minutes and and you know literally literally probably I guess real time, but like yeah, the that kind of battle as like something that um you know i 
I, I wanted to I wanted to bring it back to the movie itself though, which I haven't been to West Virginia. I've been to Virginia a million times because of yeah, no, West Virginia is very different than Virginia. Could not possibly oh, yeah. totally be different. <laughs> that yeah. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. All of North and, Virginia is like military industrial contractors and spooks now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been to that part of well, I, I mean, probably I've stopped through it, but the part of Virginia I've been through is kind of the one like the more poverty ridden parts of Virginia. Like um yeah. I I road trips from texas back to new york uh this summer and our we like our halfway point my ex-girlfriend and i we stopped and she needed like to sleep at, in the middle of this drive back and like so she ended up um falling asleep like at a gas station we parked there and i was trying to do work actually i was trying to do work for ben uh with my laptop <laughs> in the middle of a like this rural this rural gas station in virginia yeah and i kept uh i was i kept um trying to be like is there wi-fi somewhere like sounding like the most fucking yankee i possibly could and every single time every single time someone they were like no there's no fucking wi-fi here like what the fuck are you talking about yeah and it's not it's it's not <laughs> just wi-fi it's, <laughs> it's not it's not it's not just a yankee thing i mean that's like a, it's it's an outsider thing and and what's interesting yeah. is when i when you mentioned you know virginia and west virginia it has way more in common with the uh, southeastern Ohio, like you know, your Youngstown mm -hmm. with hills, pretty much. And I say that as someone I've played these places, and like these are places that like literally will brag about we were number one in crime for this year, you know, yeah. they're, because they're proud of being number one at something. Mm. <laughs> you know what it's like? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily brag about the fact you had the most homicides in the state of the year, but like that's the kind of thing. It, and that's well, the thing. Also, Eastern, homiciding, I guess. Like if, Eastern, if, if you killed your whole police force, then maybe. Uh, yes, that's not that's not what's Ohio happening. Anyway, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I almost I almost got a point out. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, also <laughs> number one is, is Eastern Kentucky also is very much like that as well. Because when people think of Kentucky, they they rightly think of uh, of Louisville and that area. Eastern Kentucky shares a lot in common with West Virginia as well, which is one of the reasons why um, Will Oldham is in this. Or Will Youngham, which was my username earlier, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, at, at like sixteen, playing playing the the young preacher, uh, Dan, Danny Rand. Uh, that was preacher. get out of here. That's Will yeah. Oldham. That's, That's Will, Will Oldham. Yeah. Oh shit! Very I young Will Oldham. Oh, man. I love Will Oldham, man. Yeah. Yeah. Prince Billy. Yeah. Wait, Conan, you're number one at getting a point out. Don't worry about that. Uh, so I thought religion was interesting in this movie too. Maybe we can talk about that. We, we, yeah, we well, there I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, what what are the things that my, my ex wife is from Pennsylvania, so that's Western Pennsylvania, so that's that area around totally Johnstown same, same into into you know. So we used to go to Youngstown a lot, um, and uh, I when we would go from Georgia to Pennsylvania, we'd drive through West Virginia and we'd stay there. Um, and up, it's it, it is. Yeah, I've been to Bluefield. No, um, but you stayed in Bluefield. Yes, because okay, where else you going to stay in West Virginia? Uh, there's not many. Bluefield well, yeah, down, that's like, actually yeah. my wife's uh, family member's uh, hotel in Bluefield. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the it's interesting because you can tell when you hit Appalachia, like. Yeah, like particularly the non-touristy parts. It's just oh no, it's it's palpable. It's, Something changes in the air practically. You know, it's it, notable. And and that's also like in the southeast, you know, uh, where I'm where I'm from in Georgia. I'm from the Piedmont section of Georgia. If, for those who don't know southern stuff, that doesn't mean anything. But uh, we're just below, you know, just in that the foothills of the Appalachian below Atlanta. Um, and a lot of my family is up in the Appalachians, and that's when you see the religious stuff 
really filled in a lot of the gaps, but the religion there is really, really, really different. That is where snake handling churches are from. That is where like holiness movements took on. Um, And a lot of that seemed to fill in social, uh, social functions that were just totally not built up by the state, even the local capacities. Uh, Basically the churches filled in the gap and that was true here too. And and the church has played a big role in anti-unionization. In, I would I was gonna say like yeah. the the modern sort of like ideological red scare that it comes out of uh, evangelicals in Seattle after the Seattle general strike of eighteen eighteen were some of the first ones to start passing around tracks that were like specifically anti-union, anti-Bolshevik, you know, as they would say at the time, because they had seen this threat you know, that arises when workers took over the entire city, you know, they called it Bolshevism, but evangelical evangelism, evangelism, um, you know, it doesn't always take this sort of uh, reactionary role, but well, what uh, I found interesting often does. Too, uh, what I found interesting too, was, was the use of the song, uh, the, you know, there's power in the blood, the old, the old gospel that they sing multiple times in the movie, yeah. which became there's power in a union. Uh, now, now my, on my dad's side of the family, um, uh, they were uh, Salvation Army people. Preach and, it, squirrel preacher. And, <laughs> and the Salvation Army was known for going to union meetings and doing what they called a people's filibuster to shut down the union meetings mm. by playing um, songs like There's Power in the Blood. And mm. uh, what the unions are doing with like uh, people like Joe Hill, we get up there and start leading the union and singing, there's power, there's power, there's power in the union. Um, so, you know, I never do that. That's good. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, I, I think, I think one, one fact that I found out during, uh, this movie, um, that kind of, uh, shows the, the crack that really like these, these like West Virginia, um, towns had fallen through and Appalachia in general, but like, you know, this whole area had kind of fallen through, but like, because they are somewhere you can just kind of extract things from. And it's kind of in this, we're, we're extracting things, uh, you know, we love to extract. We're big. We're big extraction people here in in the U.S. Empire. We love to extract, folks. We love it. We love, we love it. it. More and more, more people are talking about it. Big extraction. <laughs> oh, 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 it broke forest. <laughs> oh, you've, you've never seen it. Our, our our big our, our big uh you know um our realizing that kind of West Virginia, this place that more than anywhere else, it kind of falls through the cracks. Um towns start popping up right like company towns and Madawan, like or like Matwan is not the, like anywhere close to the like mate one's I, I keep pronouncing it wrong it's it's, it's mate one but Maywan. i thought it was Madawan for like yeah. I, no, I, I only knew from the movie that it was mate one that's so so mate one so mate one's one of the least uh one one of the better ones because at least they have their own mayor and they have their own sheriff. Most of the, you know, most are just kind of company people that they've put because there's a lot of coal companies and they all come in, they buy up the land. And the coal companies realize they do have class solidarity because they all decide yeah. together that they're gonna hire these Baldwin Felt detectives. But but so Yeah, um, so it's Josh Mostel is the mayor in this one, and then it's uh David uh Straythorn um yeah. as the free nomad land where he's you know crushing unions, uh, but you know, whatever. Um, don't stop. No, come on. Uh, come expanse. On. He was so no, great at expanse. So, no, so, 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 um, the name, like the name itself, right? Like, like, um, like mate one, like the name, that name comes from, um, Beacon, New York, which is 15 minutes from me. Like it's the next exit on the throughway. And the reason that it's named, the original name is Mateo which is a, you know, an indigenous word. Um, 
like that's the name of the, the original uh town or city you know what 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 before when it was first incorporated and the reason that they named it that is because all the stuff to build the town had come on the train from new york and they're like oh where did the train come from let's just name the town after that so that kind of shows you how fast and how little thought really went into creating a lot of these and territories they added all those syllables to it <laughs> Light one. Well, that's when you go to West Virginia, you lose a couple syllables. No, 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 no. You gain them. You gain them. <laughs> you know, when you go up to the whale. <laughs> well, and I like the, there was, I think yeah. that uh, Sales, who really excels at portraying these types of characters in these kinds of places, more in, in a true and real feeling way than a lot of directors. You know, you have like Brighty May that character right mm, who's just, mm. just like sits at the at the train station like like watching like people come in and stuff and like if you've ever <laughs> if you've ever been out in america like in proper america that is absolutely a thing that that happens like you know you you see the you know i was uh, personal experience you know, drive through like a rural area and you see like shirtless kids with like you know no shoes on just like staring at you the entire time because they've never seen like a van come through mm. and they're like what mm. is this like it, it sets the tone so well that this is very far from a lot of places where there could be potential help and that's mm. what makes it so interesting that you have mm. the very excellent Chris Cooper. Which, by the way, Chris Cooper's great in this role. As, Wait, we're talking uh, about a movie? I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him play, uh, <laughs> play a good guy before. Cause, cause I, yeah, Chris I, Cooper's usually like like either a heavy or a politician or like a, yeah. a general or like, you know, some shit like that. Uh, and Well, according you know, to the, uh, you know, he's he's the evil heavy in this movie if you own a coal company. Right. <laughs> oh my god a union man he's well, a sheriff is, and a union man a bolshevik Holy yeah. fuck. you know but you it know does a, go ahead oh i was gonna say it does a great job of showing him as, as like the actual danger of being a guy that goes from town to town doing this and and like fighting you know these you know 60 different battles in 60 different places uh, for, for basically terraforming a planet as far as like, mm. you know, planting ideas and, and things along those lines. Go ahead, Varn. And well, the, when in Sorry to Bother forest. You, kind of uh, Glenn, Glenn from Walking Dead, like he, oh, he yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, he plays a very similar role. The, the, the modernish version yeah. of that, right? Yeah. yeah. And also kind of the scummier version of that because he's just kind of fucked well. everything that time. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Chris Cooper is clearly there to he's not so much salting he's not trying to build a union the union's already built mm. but he's trying to get the unions in correspondence with other unions and he's, try, he's to trying get, to if the seeds are planted he's trying to get them to sprout right right, right. To, to coordinate i mean and that actually becomes a problem in the movie that's kind of addressed but not addressed um it doesn't go into it very deeply is like how how the iww's internal politics and the way it was focusing on the northeast and the west led it to like not really focus on the south and so when they asked for like strike authorization with the larger iww they couldn't get it in quickly and eventually had to work on their own the other thing i like about this movie um i have some i i think chris Cruz is awesome in this movie his performance is great um i think the character has one flaw and that is i don't believe that character would have also been the pacifist i do believe there might have mm. been one but right. it wouldn't have been that guy. It wouldn't um, have been him. Yeah. He was so <laughs> passive too. Like which, um, I remember watching a long, a long way, a long yeah. way to uh, uh, everyone talk all at once. Yeah, no, <laughs> it takes us. Well, a lot of the stuff I say is very pointed, trying to get a conversation in a certain direction. There's a there's a clip that I have of John Sales talking about where he got the 
Uh, well, sorry, all I bring to this... If, if he brings no. up Boxcar Bertha, I'm going to cut you. I, uh, no, you have the I, ability I, to I, kick everyone off the show for us. So you don't need to justify <laughs> yourself. It's fine. I introduced everything, I let things go, and I bring in clips. What else? I just sit here besides that. But um, no, so I, I have a clip of, of uh, John Stell talking about who is kind of a real character and who isn't. And obviously the Chris Cooper character is not real. It's kind of just explaining to an audience like the purpose of a union and yeah. where this kind of union organizing comes from. Mm -hmm. But it also, I mean, I think his role really does show uh, kind of how far West Virginia miners were falling through the cracks. Like, because the thing is that the, I think uh, UVM or like the, 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 the United mine, like the miners union or whatever, right. That had decided in, in a lot of cases, they were extremely corrupt. They didn't want to actually challenge capital in any, in any way, shape or form. And they kind of uh, backed away from this, right? Like, they, they were kind of, they were like, well, West Virginia is not somewhere we want to represent in the first place. Um, th they kind of got failed by them. They got failed by, um, you know, like, like uh, just in, in every really way, right? Like the, the uh, IWW failed, kind of failed them because they're not getting really money down the line that they're supposed to get. And they're based somewhere else. They're based elsewhere. And kind of this like uh, IWW workers coming in to kind of organize them. And it's like, well, they're in Pittsburgh and like the money and stuff will get there when it gets there. Mm -hmm. And they're allotting a certain amount. So that part of it has failed them. And, uh, you know, they I mean, even used a, yeah. uh, an, an eldritch slur in that that you don't hear anymore, which is uh, they called them hunkies, bunch of hunkies yeah. up in Pittsburgh. And then, and then at the same time, you have this, uh, you have the, the like, someone that's literally working, and they didn't. Um, I don't think they express it very well. The guy that uh, that betrays them in the end um, is literally not just working, like not just suddenly working for Baldwin Phelps. He is someone that has gotten like he he got famous for being this Baldwin Phelps spy mm -hmm. and running the safe house and being someone who like uh, even even like. He, he lasted for decades. Like he only died in like the seventies or the sixties or something like this movie is in the twenties. Like he, he bragged about and, and also testified against um, uh, like Sid Hatfield and also was the one that was stepped out in the shadows and murdered Sid Hatfield. Like there's yeah. just so much um, that this movie, because I think it is, it's structured as a Western can't really cover, but like these are some of the, some of the figures within this movie are real people. And some of them are. Yeah, I mean, of, it, it's already a pretty long movie. If you try to include all the all that stuff, it's like it's gonna be a six-hour series. Is well, it like too late for why uh, is few clothes? Is it is it uh, too late for a Matawan two or like a gritty <laughs> reboot of Matawan like Joker or something like that? I'm here for it, man. That's Prestige television series, yeah. Cole Boogaloo. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but so I, so yeah. real real quick sidebar. This is Chris Cooper's first feature film, by the way. I don't know if everybody knows that. Like he basically well, he said it in the beginning. We watched the John Sales clip and he said it. Not only was he not bankable, nobody knew who he was. It was it was his first feature film. Like yeah. so he is he basically was his friends with John Sales, who, who was like yeah. this guy would be great in this role. And I think that that um and again, I just can't talk enough about how John Sales has like a good feel for this kind of thing in all of his films that like he just he's he's really good at that kind of thing. Cuz like look at now like how many times have we seen Chris Cooper in like in, in movies oh yeah he's a that guy it's that dude i like that yeah, guy yeah, that guy's yeah. good you know <laughs> and That's... it all started here and uh i guess one of the one other thing i want to say before i before playing this clip is that um i mean as we see someone like uh joe mansion right that kind of holds up um and i, and I mean i think you can argue that he's holding up legislation for the interests of the Democratic Party in america general. senator yes joe mansion but uh <laughs> the only one that really decides anything no but um the 
the fact that these coal companies, right, that are evil in this movie and are evil just in general are kind of the, the backbone of what holds America up for a long time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because they've decided, like, America, the Industrial Revolution runs on coal. Like, our industrialization runs on coal. But we've left that industrialization. So when you see someone like Joe Manchin, who's heavily invested with the coal companies, the villains in this movie, the reason that he acts the way that he does and wants to retain power as much as he does, and it is the fact that, like, his industry is slipping away. Like, you know what I mean? As we as we enter uh, parts of the, you know, yeah. economy. And, and things haven't changed for workers, necessarily, like, in a lot of ways. But things have changed for the actual uh, industry control of who actually matters. So you're, you're watching even people like Joe Manchin slip through the same cracks. Personally and financially invested both. Yeah. No, 100. So it's, like, it's interesting to, like, be talking about this movie now, I think. And to have the reason why of, we can't have meaningful climate change legislation is because of that. Fantastic. And uh, and and to have Bernie literally, Bernie literally, <laughs> you know, put the words out there to which side are you on on a cable show recently? Which I don't. I mean, that's such a low bar. Like it's such a low <laughs> bar, but it is something that's like, well, this is something that you know hasn't gotten referenced in the same way. Oh, Bernie Sanders, you know, whatever you want to say about him is very much part of that tradition. Like the guy did a fucking didn't he record like a um like an album of like spoken word shit about uh, Eugene yes. Debs. He's like yes. maybe well, the no, only no, popular figure he, in American he, history that uh, he made a documentary. He made a documentary about Eugene Debs. Okay. He recorded a spoken word album of uh, workers like union songs. Um, I know that because I'm someone that creates my own documentaries. It was like, Oh shit, this guy makes uh low key documentaries that he got paid like a tiny bit of money to make from historical archives. That's fucking awesome. No, and, and it, that album that he recorded is awesome too. It's 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 just great because it's he just says like, this so... land is your land, this land is my <laughs> land. From, he, that's literally like that's the most yes. famous. Uh, from but they, California. Like, they have like the story choir in the background right. and like like all the eighties excess of, of uh, <laughs> uh, overproduced music going on. And then just Bernie Sanders cutting in going, this yeah. land is your land. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite surreal. Almost as surreal as his public access show where he talks to mall goths and lectures children. Yes. Uh, they tried to smear it with that. And I was like, no, that makes him fucking like, cool. It makes him look fucking awesome. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> He's like Wayne and Garth. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Party on. <laughs> I'm having some computer troubles right now. If I lose you guys, I'm sorry. And and how did you approach like the, the characterization? Because I mean, one special thing about your movies, I think, is that you often have a view of a community and many voices and many points of view in a community. Mm -hmm. And and that's probably something that you went in going, but the challenge there is like which side are you on <laughs> is, is the mm -hmm. kind of thing. How do you make sure that it's balanced or do you want it to be balanced? How did you work that out? You know, there, there's um, four or five actual historical characters who there was a little bit written about them. Sid Hatfield, who was the sheriff, um, the agent provocateur um, for the management people. C.E. Lively was a real person. The character that James Earl Jones played, a uh, few clothes Johnson was based on a real person. Uh, the rest of them are kind of composites, and um, I had read there wasn't really that much kind of history written about these people, but I found a lot of diaries 
um, things that were written by, oh, my dad and I used to go down in the coal mines in the 20s and this is what it was like. Or, mm-hmm. you know, even one woman whose mother had run a boarding house in a, in a, a company camp. Mm-hmm. Um, in some, some stuff written by immigrants. And, and that was the first job that anybody in their family got. So using those, I kind of put the characters together, mm-hmm. um, thinking about them. I read um, uh, books by a couple of the um, not so well-known, but you know, guys who were pretty high up in the Wobblies mm-hmm. um, because I figured that the character Chris Cooper um, you know, plays is somebody who has been an IWW organizer a wobbly and then now has kind of you know been sent out by this fairly new umw um, to see what he can do yeah i think one of the things that i i feel i felt most impressed by in mate mate one is the language of the film Mm -hmm. um that so much of the way that people speak in it is uh for lack of a better word so uniony um (laughs) even in in union films in like strike films it's not necessarily the norm i would say to use the language that has been traditionally associated with union Mm -hmm. organizing the sort of brother and sisterness that kind of comes out Mm -hmm. of a different kind of colloquialism um and i think that's one of the more interesting aspects to me of the movie and i was wondering if there was if that was um something that you worked on for the film? You know, it's something that I ran into doing my research. Um, You know, like the Masons have their secret handshakes and words and stuff like that. Um, Because being a union man was often very dangerous, there was a kind of sub Rosa language and then there was the official language that they would use with each other. So it was a little bit like being in a certain kind of cult or religion or whatever. I got a lot of it from old UMW journals and some of it from the Wobblies and the Wobbly publications. Um, it was as uh, kind of fervent a belief as this is just going to solve everything. This is a time in America in, in, the, in 1920 when an awful lot of people are working in industry whether they're immigrants or they've been here for a couple generations. So it, it, it seems like we have the masses. Mm-hmm. We are massed. We're not isolated on farms anymore. Like the Wobblies were trying to, you know, really organize fairly isolated people. Um, these are people who are all together and they're kind of under one roof. We should be able to do this. And this is really going to work. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was a kind of excitement about that. And it was kind of like, you know, if you were, you, you, you might not wear it, as a badge, but you know, it was kind of like being in a club. Exactly. Badges. We don't need those sticking badges. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know if the real question that someone would ask uh, to try, try to find out whether somebody's a Baldwin Feltz agent or working in a union is like which eye is like Big Bill Haywood missing? Mm. Because I feel like you could just kind of be working for uh, Baldwin Feltz. You'd be like, well, you should probably know what I like. You've seen pictures of the guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Maybe Probably took maybe, out the eye. <laughs> I don't know. So I, that that seemed like that was the one question I think. Well, they also asked about it, like a Jack London book, which is you know whatever. But like it's it's like some of the questions were a little bit basic. It's like uh someone has just been doing like a little bit of union research and is like, oh, there goes oh. there goes Sean. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. His internet they, they read the Wikipedia page is what you're saying, and then then uh, wrote, <laughs> wrote the script. <laughs> What well, is a union? And then yeah. they're like, well, a union is. And they're like, you figured out the code. 
there's a there's a so listening to revolutionary left radio one of the things is that um both both the the army that was uh working both the army that was working with uh the coal companies and uh i like that you took the the initiative to change the name on the <laughs> that, that's andy world and i's shtick by the way we do that quite a bit. that's good i like it um no but i, I really i like that both well, all right. So the story that both the U, the union, uh, like the the army's working for like you know unionizing like the workers, the miners, and um, and the, like the the army working by the time that Blair Mountain happened for capital, like for the coal mining companies, um, they both had passwords. But I guess at, at one point, one of the battles leading like right up to Blair Mountain was that um the password used by uh the, the the coal mining company's army which was entirely made up of volunteers that like were pretty much told like oh you guys haven't unionized yet and uh you know you're gonna lose your jobs if you if you don't if you don't join this army like we own this army this is the army go in there and kill other coal miners mm. so that army their password was like amen and when they asked like password because i guess both armies didn't know whether they were which side they were working for. They didn't know which side are they on. And uh, I guess the password was amen. And when they didn't know it and they used different passwords, they just started shooting at each other. And that Oof. was like one of the battles right before Blair Mountain. <laughs> Classic blunder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did also just kind of wanted to uh, touch on the music if Conan wanted to talk about that. I would, uh, I would love to. Uh, I, I, I do <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, even though I thought it was a little too sharp. But that's just me. <laughs> that's just that that kind of singing. Um, oh yeah, you mean like musically sharp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, there's but, a there's a rich yeah. tradition for West Virginia of you know that that manner of uh, feeling it, not necessarily like being note perfect necessarily, right? But yeah. uh, I, I, and and it being something where like look at the alternative, right? Like they they, they that music was developed because yeah i personally love alternative coal mining music you know <laughs> i don't like that mainstream coal mining music it sucks you like the stuff they brought in the uh the mandolins from the uh from the uh, italians yeah that was i thought that was that was like a little corny but i think it was cool how they showed how like the black guy had the harmonica the italian had the mandolin yeah. and there's the fiddle and then and they're basically yeah. like creating like american culture at that point right? yeah Amer- yeah american yeah, culture to, like, is being created I remember going to a folk festival. Uh, actually, no, it was a bluegrass festival um, years ago, and uh, they they had like this um, workshop where this guy was uh, talking about the history of the mandolin and how like that 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 picking was uh, developed because you couldn't uh, hold out a note on the mandolin. So so they they yeah. had multiple pick. Uh, uh, there's a name for that. I know Conan probably knows it off the top of his head. Um, uh, wait, I I just I, I want to say it's also really interesting that um, you go from kind of you know like music that's kind of just being developed to kind of keep this struggle going on, right? Like the labor struggle and kind of music that is just kind of being developed in these camps. Like there's not a lot going on between these battles. And it's interesting. That well, in the yeah, 60s, that's th- this, this is the point I was going to make that a lot of it's just born of like, there's a lot of time spending sitting around. Yeah. Like well, you're for, sitting for, around, right. And you got to update it. The updated version is that in the sixties, people like Pete Seeger or, uh, you know, Phil Ox, or, you know, there's a lot of different Bob Dylan even could kind of just go around and collect these songs and then like profit off of just being like this is a an album oh, yeah. and Woody Guthrie did it too Woody Guthrie kind of um I was I was 
thinking like I was thinking about it the other day and I saw this thing that was like, oh, Woody Guthrie kind of created uh with this Dust Bowl ballads, like kind of created like the first concept album is what like some I mean, which I don't think probably is true, but like you know, some some outlet put it out that was like, oh well, this is kind of the first concept album. But it's, it's funny that you could kind of in the early uh you know, well in, in like the sixties, fifty, like that whole time period, you kind of just go around from town to town and like ask like, hey, did you guys ever come up with any songs? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, if they weren't published, then it was fair game, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. Okay. Like, well, like, I mean, I'm gonna make an album. Like, what? How do you publish songs? a song? Like, like a newspaper? Like, what are you talking about? And I mean, Alan Lomax, Don't worry about you know, it. Went through it and made a. I mean, you know, collected a bunch over the years too. So, so, so you have that that long history of people going through and finding it, and and also like um, uh, when Woody Guthrie wrote songs, he would actually just adapt the tunes of uh, whatever yeah. people were using. So, so like he he actually would write. Uh, his, he wouldn't write the music to his songs. Um, and a lot of times he'd just be doing, building it on tr more traditional songs, which Bob Dylan also did a bit of. Um, uh, well, that whole folk music movement. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's interesting that it kind of became a, uh, like a, a musical style, right? Like it became its own genre. Well, I mean, that's what folk music was in the sixties as opposed yeah. to today. Cause, cause I mean, today it's just, Oh, we're just going to play, you know, Woody Guthrie songs or, or we're just going to play, um, uh you know whatever songs um uh and and we're but we're gonna play you know all these these old-timey instruments and and but, but uh, it's not like it was you know where they're actually finding and learning these songs and, and bringing them to a new audience but conan i want i want to hear what you had to say about it. sorry i just wanted to bring up that point because i've been listening to a lot of folk music late like like woody like woody guthrie and pc like that whole like that whole style of music and i just thought it was funny that it, like you kind of just go to a town and be like let me hear your songs. And be like, if the songs are good, you'd be like, I'm gonna make an album out of those songs. <laughs> well, I, and, and, and the, but the idea of being able to profit off of it, like, was like, like that was absolutely not even like in the picture. In any way, well, it was in, think it was impossible until you had like mass production of records. Well, you, first uh, of all, you had to have let's have be music be a commodity. Yeah. yeah. First of all, you had to be able to a record music. So we'll start right. with that. And then you would have to have like a device for people to listen to music, so on and so on. And that was all pretty new. And nobody knew it was going to last. You still had people work. Well, the real money is in the sheet music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ten pan and, alley. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's where culture was at the time. But the idea that, um, you know, most of these tunes, like the, the point that we were making earlier is that like we're just born out of like sitting around. They're sitting around waiting for something to happen. Like, all right, well, I got this here. Oh, I got this over here. Great. Let's, you know, let's make a story. And so a lot of these, but a lot of these uh, tunes were almost like folk tales to a certain degree, right? Like, you know, like the songs themselves, like the the, the things that were mentioned, um, you know, would either be hist a historical, ahistorical, tall tales. It would maybe vary, like the, the protagonist would like vary from like town to town or county to county or whatever. And that was pretty common until the idea of, you know, there being recorded music changing to being like, no, this is the definitive version here. It's like, well, there's also five other definitive versions depending on who you ask in, in other states. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, a, if, if, if it's famous that a song is like good or, or a story is good, right? And you're in a town controlled by a coal mining company, let's say, like you're yeah. not going to have the same um, heroes in your music as uh, you know, as you would in a union town. Mm. Union well, even, the even recorded music, there's not a definitive version until very recently. Cause look at how many versions look of at the Stagger right. Lee or Stagger Lee. Mm -hmm. um, like the folkways thing and all like the, uh, the people that chronicle that kind of, and that's, you know, that's real fascinating stuff. Um, 
it's not as fascinating as this film that we're ostensibly here to discuss or yeah but but you can went, see elements of like, it in there so it's kind of nice to kind of just pick it apart just a little bit it's very organic you know it's very organic yeah. and it, it, it comes out in the way that um again was was born out of how these songs were born out of just like people sitting around and like they had trying to entertain themselves while like you know maybe waiting for something heavy or just waiting in general uh you know a great scene in the movie is where you know they're they're kicking in and those guys with the guns come in you're like uh oh and they're like oh they're just they're hunting small game and he's like he's like oh you know help yourself to all the rabbits but please don't mess with my pigs like those, those yeah rumors. like i i paid for these pigs the rabbits are kind of yeah rabbits, rabbits are, are kind of here like <laughs> that's on you you know go take care of that but like that and that's his way of tacit tacitly supporting their initiative mm -hmm. without like necessarily being like involved by like making life easier for them knowing that like part of what's happening is they're trying to be starved out so yeah. like by providing them ostensibly with a food source like you know it's like a bare bare minimum right but like that's sort of you know the way of like maintaining uh enough neutrality so as not to be like targeted by the company but like engaging in a way that's like a, the soft support of um uh, you know, from, from a great tradition of, you know, maybe you don't have to be the loudest voice in the room to be supportive of a cause. Well, you, you get, you get a lot of information from that one scene and I wish you kind of got more information about it because it, it, number one, there's the divide and conquer side of it. Right. Which is, those are the hill people. Like those are like, those are like the real hillbillies. Like we're working for a coal mining company. We're kind of above that. Those are the people who kind of, um, didn't like the same way that I said, kind of, it's almost like an indigenous uh, owning of the land, right? Like you might not have a, an, a physical deed for the land, but there's a bunch of land and the coal company comes in and just kind of takes that land from you. Um, like, so those are the people that kind of the coal company relentlessly profited off of because it's like, this is a, this is a family that's kind of understood by everybody uh, has possession of this large tract of land because they're hunting on it. And it's like the coal companies come in realizing that there is a, an extractive profit to make off of this area. Like kind of just takes the land and is like, yoink. Huge no tracts actual... of land. <laughs> yes, huge <laughs> tracts of land. Anyway, but um, no, but they kind of understand like this, like um, by creating kind of this feudal order because they're not uh, industrialized yet. Um, it's like they, they, they're, they've understood that like there's probably not a real deed to this area this is an area that's kind of going by their own rules and by using state power to just be like yeah this is our land we'll give you a tiny bit of money for it which you know how the the, the northeast i guess and the entire country but like also the government did that with uh you know they, they would just kind of take your land from you and be like we'll give you a little bit of money if you want to go to court for it but uh you know we have we have power to do that <laughs> as both like a corporate power and a state power so like you can kind of just get your land yoinked from you throughout this entire time period like including especially into the fdr years which you know but you know like talk talking through this like i wish they had kind of mentioned the hill people more because it does seem like even in this uh even trying to explain how this union order this like came about like it still seems like there's still these uh these levels to it right like they do they make they make sure to show you that you know the scabs that they brought in black workers immigrant workers like that literally had been kidnapped from where they were like mm. they, they don't touch that in the movie but like they had been like a lot of people had gotten like off the boat at ellis island and there's someone waiting for them they just pulled them into a fucking car and brought them down to a, a mine in west virginia like um 
Like, I like, got a spicy meatball for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want yeah. the you want the spaghetti? I got the spaghetti. And they get in the car and it's like you're going to a goddamn mine. <laughs> <laughs> the food stuff was really funny when they were um there was like the hill woman, the older hill woman with the kids, and then there was the Italian woman with the kids, and they both had cornmeal. And yeah. the Italian woman's trying to make polenta out of it. And the hill woman's <laughs> like, she's destroying it. She's turning it into slop. How could you eat that? And it's like literally the same thing, people. Come on. Yeah. yeah. But eventually she ends up giving her a, um, a rabbit. So that's it's a nice ending. Yeah. yeah I don't like that as someone who has had pet rabbits that I liked a lot. And you know what? Pets are canceled. Canceled for environmentalism. It, it was a rabbit <laughs> actor. The actor was uh, the rabbit was acting. No harm Roll was done to any rabbit. Yeah, really. Gets back up. What's up, Doc? <laughs> I, I heard he got the Academy Award that year for uh, best animal. <laughs> hey, there he is. Best rabbit in the non Looney Tunes. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like Varn should have came back in with like a Looney Tunes kind of like. Effect. That's all, folks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you gotta say, movie night, bar night, movie night, bar night, movie night, bar night, fire. <laughs> <laughs> Can we? Um, so we got into a discussion a while ago about uh, the Will Oldham character, the Danny Radner, the the like the young preacher who's clearly like sides with the the union guys, and like I found one scene in this film to be very intense, which is the way where he's basically like he's trying to get across that there's danger and like tells the story of joseph to do so yeah good scene and i was like wow this is awesome because it's like he's he like the way he's telling that story and i'm let's be explicitly clear i'm not a big i'm not a big bible guy but i thought that the way that he did that was like wow <laughs> but the, but the way that he does it in a way that's like just surreptitious enough that those those uh the detectives are in the back like you know hooting it up trying to intimidate people and they're not that really was really it. smart yeah and right it's after they were so mocking cool. him for not knowing the bible so, yes yeah you right know, th that's what made that scene even better was just that you know just like oh you're, you're awfully young to be a preacher you know anything about yeah. the bible what are you, you a mean, squirrel no, preacher you're preaching to the squirrels and we're they're just rabbit, like the bus we're rabbit preachers nuts. over here we you know i mean he was able to deliver a complicated story and out an informant by a biblical allegory that's yeah. pretty impressive which is pretty, impressive. pretty stunning like that's that's honestly without nice. mentioning judas i might add Right. Yeah. No. That, that was great writing right there. I I, th I thought that that you know there's a lot of like really cool moments in this, but I thought because like the like the stakes of what's happening, which is like ultimately this, this is a small room, right? But it's like there's people in and out of the room in mortal danger if he says the wrong thing. Well, yeah. I mean, and as, I was like, God, that's so great that he, he pulls that off. The other the other thing that I think is very eighties in this movie is that in the beginning they kind of lead up to the stakes of these two different you know mindsets when it comes to preachers by having the uh, they have the um, you know the good the good uh, the money evangelical right like the 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 you know the the gospel like preached most often now that during the Reagan era it's kind of like um, money is almost like a uh, we'll call it the uh, righteous gemstones philosophy. But he says, um, his name is Beelzebub, Lord of Flies. Right now, Earth today, his name is Bolshevik, communist, union man, Lord of untruth, sower of evil seed, enemy of all that is good and pure, and this creature walks among us. And it's the same way that kind of, it's not that religion by its very, um, by its very nature is evil, but religion in, in these communities, right, where it's kind of, 
someone comes to town and just starts just starts a preaching. Um, like it can well, be used as whether like it can be used as a positive force or a negative force because this is and how, you see both sides. Yeah. That's what's so cool because yeah. Danny Radner's character like um, just immediately undercuts it and gives like you know like a total like pro uh, humanitarian like working class and like the grandma's like I thought it was good you know also that preacher stands up like. You know what yeah. I mean? He's gonna intimidate him, and then he's like, "I gotta get yeah. the fuck out of yeah, here." Like, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> urge an appointment to be anywhere but here. I and, think that Jesus would have been in the union, and the guy's like, and he's like, "All right, well, that's my time. That's I, all, uh, folks." <laughs> <laughs> right. So, what are we gonna say, Barn? No, it's interesting because actually, if you look at the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, its history is almost that, except the conservative side won. Um, right. the early progressive movement was highly tied up in the early evangelical movement. I mean, there's William, mm. like, there's a reason why William Jennings Bryan is important to both. Um, uh, I mean, he was a fundamentalist and he was, you know, he was a, a, a proto labor person. Baby died in the middle of it. <laughs> right. Um, but it's, it's, uh, what happens with, with the Baptists is they go from siding with the, with with workers and and actually with with more liberal forms of Christianity becoming arch conservatives within like two decades, hmm. so it's in that time period of the twenties and the forties where that happens, and that happens over and over again. It's not just a phenomenon of the United States and South Korea, for example, and the Koreas, for example. Um, the the country was about divided between uh, Christian, Buddhist, and animist, and the Christians actually tended to side with the communists until the establishment of the DPRK, and then they become the uber reactionaries, like they flip sides. Mm. Um, so that happens kind of over and over again in history. Well, Debs was a committed, I mean, committed Christian. Like that was a big part of why he felt like, uh, at least, you know, the mythos of it, right? Like why he felt like every every uh, worker and every every laborer really deserved the same thing. And I, I mean, he does drop the ball within this, you know, West Virginia, because they think nationally, I think, and... But the idea is he's kind of like the Bernie of his time where he's like, well, you could you could vote your way out of this. And it's like, no, you can't vote your way out of this. But mm. you know what? Good job. But like, I'm, I'm glad that you chimed in. Um, <laughs> but like the the, the whole wow. idea of uh, that's some read. But OK, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, was, I was listening to Revolutionary Left Radio and they kind of went into the idea of the um, they called him a pussy. Actually, that, like, it was crazy. No, but like the, the idea of it was that, you know, they kind of got bailed on by every possible uh, this was like this specific movement action, right? Like the, the, the Eugene Debs is thinking kind of nationally and thinking, well, we can kind of agitate our way into things by kind of going on the national ballot and our vote like totals keep increasing. And we've kind of stood up at this point to um, like, like we've kind of stood up against world war one and like our vote totals and every election keep increasing. Maybe so we can like vote. Disco Sue on that episode of The Simpsons where he's just like, if disco keeps getting more popular and popular, yeah, <laughs> 1976 to 1980. So, yeah, so so that's like you know the first level of it, but then also the IWW, which is the the you know, breaks away like Eugene Debs, who founded the IWW, has broken away from Big Bill Haywood, who's the leader of, of that movement, because he's like, Well, this movement is too far, like you're literally destroying the old machine, like the machines that working like that workers work on right like we don't want to do that kind of agitation we want to do a more political version of it so that's like a, a second level of failure because in this case Bill, big bill haywood kind of bails on by the time blair mountain comes around right like bails on it which that split is like the most famous intra-left uh conflict in in american history 
because even uh, Helen Keller, even Helen Keller could see that that was too far <laughs> and wrote a piece in mainstream papers. I think uh, it was it was within, uh, I think, SPCA's main thing where she's like, you guys need to get along. You guys are really messing up the thing. But but the, you know, workers in West Virginia had fallen through the cracks of all of those institutions. They'd kind of taken it into their own hands. And that, this, you know, this movie doesn't necessarily express that very well because, um, you know, Chris Cooper kind of brings them back to him and is like, well, when you guys break away from us and listen to like a snitch, maybe things aren't going to go too well for you. But it still is. It's a systemic failure from the institutions that are meant to protect workers and do. Like, I, I would argue that Eugene Debs does a good job at protecting workers in other parts of the country. But this is just somewhere that's so far gone that it's like America's third world. Like, it's and it's not even just that um, they were they were so put upon because a lot of workers were put upon. The West Virginia miners were able to call upon a lot of uh, resources like the the community that they already had in order to forge some sort of uh, a, a, a class solidarity with one another. I look at like the beautiful what's this uh, Joe Kagan, the union organizer in this movie, and all the beautiful talk of uh, you know one big union and. We're all workers together. Seems so alien to American society today to even imagine that. I mean, I believe. Yeah. That. But like, this, the, like this is a hundred, a yeah. hundred years ago. You know, like so much has happened over the last hundred years. I feel like the kind of strong communities that can allow you to take up arms and like against uh, the, the 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 mining companies and the deprivation uh, don't exist like they did a hundred years ago. Well, maybe if there were more black voices in the unions, women voices then we would have just kidding i don't know i was just being very liberal about my response to that um <laughs> liberals like social peace liberals yeah. and liberals wrote right like half the city and half the history in this country so yeah that's and, why and, the, the yeah. madawan story is not like the popular one in the u.s yeah, the Chris Cooper character, though, ends up being both the Warabli voice and the liberal voice, which does act. This is my one fault with the movie because it, he's a pastiche, basically. Yeah. He's a pastiche between two different kinds of activists. And part of what he's saying, I mean, ultimately, they they side with uh, they have to they side with guns because they have to. And I also like the fact that, by the way, if anyone's ever organizing, the first person who tells you to blow shit up is almost always a always fed. a cop. Yeah, just like, like, it's just just yeah. like that, that's just a truth. You should just accept that. It's it's, um, it's it's interesting that in this movie though, right? Like the Pomerades had just started a year before. And I know mm -hmm. you're a, a scholar of the old Pomerades, uh, Varn, but you know this kind of idea that like. No, like, which had been like going on within corporations for quite a bit, like, but you know, this Pinkerton idea, but like, we can kind of just put feds in there. Like, it seems like in this movie, like, there's one fed, which is really cute because I feel like, like, later on, right, like decades later, it would be like eight feds and two actual revolutionaries, and they'd be like, the eight feds are all like, we should blow something up. The other two <laughs> people are like, well, I guess we should listen to democracy, but like, I don't really want to. Like, I feel like blowing <laughs> something up is a bad idea. And there's yeah. eight people that don't know it. The rest of them are feds working for different agencies. Be like, no, we should blow something up. And the other guys, well, like, it's, it's, it's like when the when bots start talking to each other. Right? Yeah, and they, and they, it's like a feedback loop. Well, I mean, that really did happen with the Panthers, like in the seventies. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, it's real. Yeah, and um, the Panthers connect to this too because of that same idea of like you know community aid, mutual aid is happening within uh you know West Virginia communities because they had nothing else and. In the same way that like in in certain you know block by block or neighborhood by neighborhood 
uh, th- that idea is going on within within the Panthers decades later. And I think that, you know, John Sales is probably definitely commenting on on, on the connections, right? Like uh, these connections are going on within the same uh, sphere. Yeah, I, I think about this all the time because, I, like, w- my my joke that I bring up now is like, who needs feds or who needs COINTELPRO when we have each other? Um, <laughs> um, because because we have like two decades of habits of giving into this stuff, um, where we don't know how to like. A, a vibrant movement will have arguments and fights, and will be and will be aggressive and contentious. That that's undeniably true but you keep it especially if it's a leftist right right (laughs) but you keep it it well it's true with rightist movements too but it but you keep it in the movement like you keep it internal to yourself yes and um (laughs) and and that that they are they managed to do that and this is why that uh that uh baldwin phelps guy does not end up breaking them up is because they are able to keep that contention because there's contention even after they out the guy. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the move to violence is something it takes them a long time to do. And, you know, ironically in this movie, the red is the person who opposes the violence the whole time because some weird story about Mennonites once, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a I might be a red, but I, I guess that's the name for me kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, I, do yeah. think, I do think is accurate to some, to some, uh, Organizers going from place to place that are just like, I don't really know where I fall in this. I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. He's been telling me one thing. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, though, the Mennonite story is an evocative one. Like, it's definitely like, you know, that that's like a full stop moment of like, oh, interesting. Because there's, because first of all, uh, for, if you're talking about collective action, that talks about people that you wouldn't expect to be participants in collective action can still participate in collective action in their ways and they have their own motivations and understanding that can be useful. And the other thing is that it helps, illustri- you know, it helps illustrate like the larger, the larger point of resistance and different types of resistance. And, and, so and, on and, so on. and the pacifism to world war one, which the uh, coalition, which I would say is a very similar coalition for the Vietnam war. Like, you know what I mean? Of, of people that are like reactionary, uh, you know, evangelicals are like in, in some ways, like, you know what I mean? But like, also, like the religious fervor in some sects of evangelicalism or uh, Quakers, which, you know, Nixon was Nixon's mom was a Quaker. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. these different groups, of people that might be um, socially reactionary or uh, driven by religious fervor to be like, well, maybe we, maybe God doesn't want us to kill people in a different country. They can kind of ally up with uh, socialists or like, well, maybe there's a humanism in all of us that, you know, and, and Deb's kind of is a is an interesting Nexus point for that because I think yeah. human, humanism is based around religion. And well, and, and like I'm glad we brought up the Mennonites because for my birthday one year, uh, oh god, lost it's another DC. story. <laughs> <laughs> got lost in DC because we're all following the Mennonites, thinking they knew where the museum was, and they weren't even going to the museum to see George Lucas and Steven Spielberg's um, paintings. <laughs> that that, that right. they bought well, with, uh, with that. Yeah, we were just seeing Norman Rockwell yeah. exhibit. With that reference, you probably go to Letterbox one-liner. Conan. Oh yeah, the, the one thing I just want to say is, is as a yeah. as a secular humanist, which I am by law required to announce, uh, I think it's a good reminder that uh, you know you can find political alliances with those with religiosity, and it's another good reason why Bill Maher is never a good spokesperson for atheism, you know, mm-hmm. or, or Richard Dawkins, or you know, don't get me started on any of that, uh, or get Renee Ruin started. Don't get me started doing a Bill Maher impression where I go. 
Listen, okay. There's a God, <laughs> and He wants you to listen to the laws. He's, okay. No no just re- just remember, <laughs> just remember that new atheism, in its own way, shape, and form, was was an, an adjunct to the imper- American imperialism in the 2000s. It yeah, arose well, in order to explain yeah. why they hate us in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, well, you, yeah. You, but you look at you look at uh, like Sam Harris, right? Someone who oh uh, lord, why did I do this? Be, okay, yep. <laughs> someone who's supposed to be like the uh, face of atheism throughout the new atheist movement. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, all right. So because of you know, you're a new new atheist, you don't support Israel, right? And he's like, well, actually, and it's like, <laughs> all right. So that's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I mean, most they're, of better, it's a they're a better democracy. So most of us are hollow farts full of like fakers and opportunists uh, who have just as much religiosity towards lack of religiosity as anything else. What I like about secular humanism is the fact that it's like, hey. Whatever you're into is whatever you're into, as long as it doesn't like harm and infringe upon the rights of others. Good on you, which I think mm-hmm. is a better like way of life ethos. But, which uh, uh, you know, harm is also something that can be kind of a uh, elusive concept, I guess, because there are people, you know, libertarians are like, well, do no harm, and it's like, but like you're literally, you know, trying to get serfs to exist. And it's well, like, yeah, well, that's not harm; that's profit. <laughs> you know, so Rogue no, I, I, is our book. I, I too am a, I would say a secular humanist, but like in a socialist way and not in like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there is a, all of these ideas can get co-opted. And I think this movie, bringing it back to this movie, I think this Which movie we are does it well. Discussing. Yes. <laughs> does it well in understanding that like, uh, you know, Christianity itself, religion itself can be co-opted, whether to use it as like, hey guys, we're all in church and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a snitch among us. Or to be you, like you see both sides of it. That, that's what I think is cool. Gospel. You see both sides I, of it. Yeah. yeah. You, the pros, which, by the way, I didn't remember the name of, and I was trying to hint at it without. But the prosperity gospel, like the you know, like you, like God doesn't want you to unionize, or like God, Jesus would want you to unionize, and that's why we should do it. Like both ideas can exist simultaneously because this doctrine is not, uh, you know, Marx didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like that you see both ends of it. Because yeah. at first, like, it feels like when you watch this for the first time, it feels like you're only going to see, like, oh, right, here it is. Like, you know, the, the, basically they're going to go for the coal company's side of things. And, like, we get it. But then you then you get to see the turnaround when Radner, like, you know, again, 16 year old Will Oldham, very adequately is like, yo, I'm going rogue right now <laughs> in, in this church. It's happening. It's on. And, and it's pretty exciting and it lets you know that what you're going to be seeing is going to subvert your expectations a little bit and that's what makes this an evocative movie but we're not doing final thoughts we're doing my signature bit which is the yeah, one, box one, one, one lastly it's it's the reason that oh, i respected uh no it's the reason that i respected <laughs> Just kind of, the, bit. the last the last thing is the reason that i respected michael brooks version of i mean you know also he, he was my employer but <laughs> the michael brooks version of a left uh thought versus like the new atheist version of a left thought which is like um religion itself is evil or like well religion can be used for good or evil we should have a spiritual sense of our own humanity and you know an empathy for other people based around that if people do support that i feel like this movie accurately expressed that but totally shows that personally yeah personally i don't feel like you need spiritualism for empathy but that's a completely separate discussion. Letterbox yeah, one line. what I was trying to say, but no, yeah. no, no. But I think it's an important discussion that I don't want to have right now. Uh, every episode, every episode of the show that we have, I pull. God is dead. Okay. <laughs> 
Letterbox, a uh, place for films, a social media network that uh, allows uh, fans of movies and film to talk at, with, and to each other. Bottom-up democracy, no lords, no masters, no, uh, you know, there, there's big names. Everyone gets their say. So what I do is I crawl through all of the reviews for the various movies that we cover. And I find the, you know, funny, pithy, hilarious, uh, interesting, notable one-liners. We bring them on the show. We talk about them. We react to them. And uh, it's, a, it's a good time for all involved, if I, so I say. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Chris Cooper and, and Matt Wan go on Chapo, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. It, it's Matt Wan, right? I'm Mate, 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 Mate Wan. Mate, 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 Mate Wan. How am I still fucking this up? Anyway. <laughs> you want uh, to read it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't want that to be an excerpt. Twitter. <clears throat> Chris Cooper and Mate Wan go on Chapo. Can't say five stars minus half a star for the kid who couldn't throw a baseball to save his life he was a good preacher though <laughs> solid chris right. cooper no you can't just forego peaceful protests in favor of a small-scale violent rebellion it will only serve to maintain the cyclical oppression of the working class <laughs> david straythorne so anyway i started blasting <laughs> I, I this was my favorite one last night because I imagined because obviously that's like a the Danny DeVito quote. So yeah, I imagine yeah. David uh, Stratham's character played by Danny DeVito is like. So anyway, I started blasting. Like, yeah, the it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, this 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 should be in that meme format by by far. That's so hard there. Good good. Although one. the mayor like looks more like Danny DeVito, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. being a, <laughs> being in a union is pretty fucking badass. Say oh yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. This movie fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Cat Brady. I like how every movie we've done has had one of those. Like, every yeah. movie we've done, someone's like, this movie fucks. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Comrade Sid could get it. That's Natalie. <laughs> I think, so uh, much thirst posting on, on this site, too. I love it. I That's think people insane. in West Virginia agree with that statement. We love, we love to see it, folks. Maybe Chris Cooper is a snack. Also, unions rule. Fiona Duvall, five stars. She's watching the trains right now. More like Will Youngum. Tommy Boy 420, with, with the two facts stated. I read somewhere that they're showing this in high school history class. I bet Chad fucking hates this movie, and that makes me happy. Fuck you, Chad. Yeah. I will say they are not showing this movie in high school history classes. Even even in West Virginia, you know, from everyone talking about it, they're not showing this movie in high school history classes. Maybe because because in Texas we got the uh, the Alamo where, where they won with uh you know with, with um uh, John Wayne uh, that that was part of our history class in Texas. So all right, but that's know. different than maybe they're showing. So, it. so you know, unionization effort, and that's different than like a movie that kind of puts workers above capital. And also, I you know I went to the Alamo. Not that great, folks. No. <laughs> so you know, you know, actually, they do show this movie in high schools. So it's just elite private schools, and I'm very serious uh, about that. <laughs> the kind of people that are never going to unionize. They're like exactly the people we don't want to unionize. Actually, yeah. like, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like the people who are taught about American labor history are like. The overlords of third world countries. They're going to use this information for ill. Yeah, they're using it as intel, basically. (laughs) Being in the union is pretty fucking badass. Twice, two times we do this one. Yeah. 
That's a good. That's a good one to end on. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so those are the letterbox one-liners. Follow uh, Moving Extravaganza on Letterbox, which is uh, Forest, and then uh, myself, Conan Neutron, J- uh, J Andy World is on there as well as long as many of our featured guests. Uh, and of course, as always. Uh, like, subscribe the show on YouTube, uh, Twitch, do all the things that we are terrible at explaining. <laughs> and subscribe. By the way, I took the full. I took the full. I took that full thing where we were trying to desperately explain Discord on the last one. I just took the entire thing out of. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it was. Yeah, Discord is coming. That's all we need to say. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. But anyway, um, going to final thoughts, uh, Sean. Starting with you. Um, final thoughts about this this film, what it teaches us, uh, you know, how we should look at it as as socialists, and you know, and anything I, else. No, that's good. I I think it's uh, it opens a lot of really interesting doors to understand what's uh, particular and unique about uh, the United States and uh, its labor history and how its labor history informs our labor presence. I think it also does the danger of, you know, there's some people who see um maybe they're in like an industrial union right now who who want to do like historical preservation or historical reenactment societies i think we should also realize that the time and place for this at least in the united states is kind of past we can understand it as like the history but um yeah it's uh we, we can't just like um reenact uh made ones in uh in 2022 and, and imagine do. that actually yeah they do they you do. Gotta- Unless you, live in, unless you live in unless you live in Madewan and that's your history, but, there's uh, uh no there's a there's a Blair Mountain reenactment society and uh, a big part of why they wanted to do the revolutionary left radio thing is that they wanted a pres like a presence of IWW actually at that because I think it's just you know a lot of petite bourgeois like uh, we're gonna go in there and, and pretend to be coal miners for that, that yeah. hour long video I mentioned about, that was made in uh, Kentucky you know made in West Virginia about. Uh, about everything that I thought was pretty good and actually had like the reconstruction of the court case. Um, they actually end with showing uh, one of the uh, the reenactments, which was just a lot of fun. The reenactments are great. I'm not talking shit about reenactments, <laughs> but I think that we should understand the history. We should treasure this movie because I think it's incredible. But uh, if if you want to like live a part of Madewan in your own life, Maybe that means organizing like a Starbucks or or wherever it is that you. Maybe it means it's not just for shooting shooting the manager of your local Starbucks. Maybe it means that. Maybe it means that term terms of service violation just mentioned right now. But great movie, you should check it out. We'd like to welcome our new sponsor, Starbucks. (laughs) I I on 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 Labor Day I wrote um like kind of as like a, a little bit sarcastically but um. I wrote uh, uh, something. Something that was like um, the real meaning of Labor Day is to is to um, fucking uh, just kill just kill your local boss or whatever, like the <laughs> local like bourgeois person in your town. And the guy that owns the bar that I hang out at, like the dive bar, was like, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. maybe don't." <laughs> oh, I said, "I said uh, the way to really celebrate Labor Day is to uh, bayonet your local your local business owner." <laughs> and, the the guy that which by the way the bar had an antifada sticker on the bathroom oh door. no sure nice <laughs> but uh so for, so Forrest is it wants there. to bayonet your fans basically sean is no, but it's someone that i know that, like I'm, for it. it's someone that i like it's a guy i know but i was like you know bayonet your local your local small business owner and he's like oh well maybe, maybe that's not what devs wanted i was like no that's what <laughs> that's the mindset <laughs> We have an anti-fada sticker on the bathroom door. You can't do that. 
<laughs> that's like I, the uh, that's like the blood of, blood above the door with the firstborn or something. I was yeah. gonna say circle protection, you know, yeah. magic. <laughs> but Varn, final thoughts, final, 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 uh, you know, actions, final real strike actions on the stream. Um. One thing I would say is uh, joining a union is nothing like this now. As I say this as a union rep, um, sadly, um, if I brought a gun to my union meeting, I think uh, all shit would break loose. Um, uh, I would also say I think this movie is good. I I, I think uh, Harlan County, USA is actually a little more relevant to us now. Um but I, I mean, I was, I was counting up labor movies <laughs> like made in the U.S. and I had like five, and I had to include Newsies. Like, <laughs> so, so was Boxcar Bertha one of them? Yes, it was. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and John Bell talks about that. There's a long talk that he gives at the Lincoln Center about labor and film, and he's like, "No, there aren't very many, and most of them that I found were Italian." So, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's a lot of good European ones actually, and there's even some like crappy, like uh, Soviet realist ones. But like, this movie is one of the few we got, so you should see it. Um, it has a good Criterion release release if you're that kind of nerd. Um, so you can get plenty oh! of content for it. <laughs> movie next time again is brought to you by the Criterion Collection. <laughs> um, and the uh, small the small business owner that just got bayoneted. The former anti fada listener. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so we can uh, collectivize that eventually, I suppose. Um, I think the movie. I think the movie's pretty good. I think it's very well shot. It's very well acted. Um, I would. I would say though, go read up on on the Battle of Blair Mountain because this is just the very beginning of it, and it gets a lot wilder. Yeah. This isn't even, I mean, this isn't even really the beginning of it. This is kind of the story of the mythos, and he doesn't portray it very well, of, of uh, Sid Hatfield, who mm. becomes the martyr that kind of makes the Battle of Blair Mountain explode when he gets assassinated on the court steps. It gets a line in this movie. I like this movie a lot, but, like, you know, it's, it's interesting that, like, the, the real battle comes from the fact that it gets national attention when, uh, you know, he's assassinated on the court steps. This movie's like, by the way, after this two-minute battle... He did get assassinated on the court steps. I had, like, <laughs> yeah, and also the miners lose. By the way, just yeah. just uh, just FYI, which this movie does not let you see. So they don't want you to know. They don't. They, they don't want they, you to know. The miners lost. They the win in the lost. end, and then they lose again by the nineteen seventies <laughs> and eighties. <laughs> Losers, haters, the miners. <laughs> uh, Conan, final thoughts. Well, most relevant final thought is I fucked up when I was sending over the letterbox one-liners and I forgot the one that's most relevant to this discussion, uh, which is this one. Imagine packed movie houses where audiences burst into rapturous applause at Mary McDonald wasting a union-busting copper with a shotgun. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Which, which it actually ties into uh, your whole thing with social media for us. So, like, I'm doubly sorry that I didn't proofread my uh, my, my work for a yeah, over. From, so from Molly Wingworm, which is a great name. Molly Ringworm, yes, is, is who did that. Only three and a half stars, though. Which, is, which is probably how Molly Ringwald uh, used her appearances now in John Hughes movies after that 
uh, relentless takedown of John Hughes movies that she wrote. <laughs> from, I remember it was Vanity Fair. Or... True. <laughs> so, so first off, let me just answer the fact that I think that um, you know, d- does it show everything in 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 the battle? Does it show everything in like the massacre? No, of course not. And and the thing is, it's it's a movie. It's a fucking movie, guys. It's a fucking movie. Like and like, like I think that it wasn't a documentary. I, I think about the like, would you like to know more in Starship Troopers for that? There's a lot of would you like to know more opportunities here, and I'm so glad yeah, that like, why uh, was he called Few Clothes? <laughs> yeah, why exactly? Where's if it was a prestige television series, maybe there would be like a whole like episode on on that, right? And then, yeah, like, fantastic. Go do that. Why so, he was called Few? I looked up online real quickly while we we're doing the show, and I couldn't find anything. Why? By the way, they don't portray clothes. it very well, but uh, Few Clothes Johnson was a. Um, union organizer who uh was one of the most uh you know militant in in the area and was involved in this but um they had a trial at one point where it was something there was something 11 i forget which uh which union it was but he was one of the people that were like that was actively uh involved in unions so he wasn't just you know james earl jones kind of walking into the place yeah. and being like I no, played no, Darth Vader. Want me in your union? No, no. Well, well, so here's so here's the deal, and here's where I was going with all that is that I actually think that um, this film is a great starting point for someone to do that manner of storytelling, which is much easier to do now. Like, look yeah. at like uh, you know John Bird, you know, like uh, like I, like the fact that they're able to like make like a prestige TV show from that guy and like his 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 journey is fantastic. So. This is an opportunity for someone, you know, aspiring in the business that wants to do something cool and or important to tell that whole story. But I think this is a fantastic film. This is, I mean, John Sales, he's even like, like, what's the worst thing he's made? Like Silver City or something? Okay, well, that was like a heavy-handed anti-Bush thing, and like we get it. But like, dude's pretty consistent, honestly. Like he, he's, he's I, just to, just before it before you go into his cal- no, I wanna I wanted to put this point in here somewhere. So John yeah, I mean. Sales, when asked during that interview, um, and I don't think I included that clip, they ask him, hey, could someone make a movie like this now? And he says, yeah, yeah, they could. Like, it just, it, it depends on, you know, <clears throat> whether um, somebody, like, he's like, the, the reason this movie didn't get, um, you know, treated the way that I think it should is because we didn't do it with a studio. We didn't do it, you know, we kind of yeah. made our own budget. So like if somebody- financing and all that, yeah. Yeah, so he was like, if a if a famous actor wanted to make a movie like this with a studio that actually tells this full story, like they could. It just has to be, you know, someone's passion project, and they have to have the financing. So uh, that's the first time I think that anyone's really said, no, yeah, this movie could be made today. <laughs> well, absolutely, and and to a certain degree, it almost it would be easier to get made today, and that's one of the yeah. reasons why I'm so glad that Criterion like did the restoral because the restoral is amazing. Like if you watch on the YouTube, like you won't even notice a difference, but like. Uh, from from point A to point B, the restoral is incredible. Like, and that's a good example of the service that, that they provide. But I mean, this is, yeah. Does it does it show everything? No, but it, it's a totally it, it's a brutal take on real history, and you get like a window into it. You don't get the entire story, and that's fine. It's not there until the entire story. But I think, as like Varn was saying, not a lot of labor movies out there. I throw sorry to bother you in there. Yeah, but yeah. Like, do you guys want to do a Harlan? Do you guys want to do a Harlan County USA episode? I love Harlan here? County USA. So yeah, I would love to. to. Yeah, I, I was, was going to ask about. Uh, the, yeah, I was going to ask that, about that is on Criterion channel. Have, um, 
you know, Union Jesus over here and, and it ends with the crucifixion. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's how Conan's perfect. final thought is like open discussion time because like we have our, our best ideas during my final thoughts. It's very, very powerful. <laughs> it always is. You're just so inspiring, Conan. I brainstorm. I Conan storm. You know what I mean? I storm uh, the Capitol sometimes, but not always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the conditions are right. Um, but but I think, I, and again, just talking about the oppressive yoke of the, like the Stone Mountain Cool Corp, right? The, like the company script, the horrible working conditions, et cetera, et cetera. It's all like laid out there. And it's not like done in exposition, like in a way of like, you know, like, I, you know, the De Laurentiis Dune of like, here's 20 minutes of explaining what's going on before you actually see anything. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I think that, again, sales does a really good job of, of showing that. And uh, props to Will Oldham, 16 year old Bonnie Prince Billy, his character like kicks Hell ass. Hell yes. He does, you know, totally kicks ass. And 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 to be fair, if they didn't just pick one battle, right? If they picked the entire Blair Mountain thing, they would have to do twenty minutes of exposition. Like you would have to because there's yeah. too much. There's too much stuff, in this, which is why. Uh, and again, well, well, that's the thing is nowadays long longer form storytelling would be more prestige television, and like you could stretch it out even to a couple seasons or something if you felt so inclined. <laughs> but like anyway, point of fact is that I think that for this coming out in 1987, this is bold. Like this is a bold yeah. movie to come out anytime, but during the like the middle of like you know, um, you know the in, in parts of morning in America, like Iran Contra, like you know the the fact that like unions were everyone's more, really wanted to talk about like uh, you know which Democrats are voting for Reagan and like you know if Bush you know if uh, um what, what's his face um on the tank is like is he a wimp or not and like that was that was like where the discussion was where it's like this has nothing to do with material aspects of people's lives uh bold thing to like basically show the founding of organized labor like when it was still was like can we do this i think we can okay let's go do it and the point yeah, isn't I mean, to but, show the wait, entire battle the point is to show yeah. the beginning the like the origin right and it so effectively does that and it does it in a way that Again, I, th I think only John Sales could have made this movie, at least around that time. I think a bunch of people could have made it in the 90s, maybe even in the 2000s, but like... The 90s? Would it be a tech union? <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, no but I, 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 think that, I think that the point you're making is 100% on point. Yeah. And I think that making it at the point where a union has just gotten crushed. And it's like, guys, yeah. like these... You, like. There needed yeah. to be that reminder, right? Cause, because if you, cause at this point in the 80s, only if you mention the word union, the next word is Jimmy Hoffa. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and that's all the people think about it. And, and, and that had been so effectively framed as language that there really wasn't anything else in the conversation, you know? And, and again, I'm saying this, I was 10 or something when that, when that, when that was the case. So like, it wasn't like heavy on my mind, but again, my dad being a union dude, like I got to hear. If you were in a coal answer. mine, it would have been because you were 10 and you were working in the coal mine now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At that day and age. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, I I 100% agree with those final thoughts, and I, and I think that it's bold to make it during this point for that very reason. Like, just being like, hey, do you remember like just because in the 80s it's like 60 years ago. Like, do you remember 60 years ago? Yeah. And like you know that people were literally just getting gunned down for even wanting to join a union, and now Reagan's just able right. to like just put his foot down and just crush the whole thing in one in one foul swoop like he doesn't even have to do the thing that uh you know that g the government had to pretend to do during Blair Mountain which is like hey we're neutral arbiters and we're just here to like you know kind of mess around like you know we're gonna figure this out like no Reagan could just put his foot down and just go no more union for you and then the, the union like it's fucked up because I didn't hear this part of the story where they literally uh gave the union those benefits that they wanted like right. the, the year later Last thing, 
You work, they don't. That's all you get to know about the enemy. Mm -hmm. I wish people at <clears throat> Tesla would. <clears throat> anyway, I don't I know. Not to single out a single. <clears throat> Where's Mary McDonald and her shotgun when you need her, huh? <laughs> I, I think I think I've radicalized now after uh, you know having my Catherine Liu discussion yesterday about uh, don't look up. <laughs> where we've had that long and watching don't look up and then wanting nathan robinson to stick around to talk about don't look up and then he had to get back to work or whatever british mm. people do mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, <laughs> tea gotta have some crumpets <laughs> hello no i said hello <laughs> nathan robinson i'm sorry please come back on <laughs> andy world final thoughts let's go <laughs> Yeah, um, Andy. I, yeah. I did kind of want to springboard a little bit like, like you know, the 80s were like such an interesting transition because uh, if you if you watched, uh, I, I did a rewatch of WKRP a few years ago, and there was actually a union episode in WKRP, hmm. um, which which, you know, maybe. Maybe Sean, you know, think about doing that for an episode of the Antifada. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they try to unionize. Um, and the thing is, too, is they actually captured like the, the boss. Um, position well like like You're telling other place? left podcasts to do movie episodes no tv episodes man <laughs> tv right, episodes well, so, so like bit. you know because like they have a good relationship with the boss for the most part and he's like well why you know he's like kind of hurt like why do you want to unionize and you know it's it's really good but then you know that was that was like you know 1980 and so by the you know by the time we get to the end of the 80s we, we're we're um you know union's a dirty word and uh somehow we got this movie and i'm glad we have this movie um I, I like this. Uh, I, I do want to see um, more union movies. Uh, uh, and I want to see Varn's List uh, because hmm. I can only think of uh, Boxcar Bertha. And then I want to copy it, That's Barnes actually, list. in all honesty, episodes based on Varn's entire list. And then, you know what? We'll never have to figure out our own show again. <laughs> in all honesty, that would be a great use for Letterboxd to, to make a list like yeah. that. And then someone may already have because there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out afterwards. <laughs> Um, I, so the, the, the last thing that I wanted to say based on this movie is that obviously the Chris Cooper character is based on, a, um, someone that doesn't exist, right? Like, so the fact that they included the fact that, uh, you know, this, this lie that he had raped, um, that he had like raped or had people come in that raped a woman and that the union was going to, you know, lead to a white woman who was just sitting around all day waiting for fucking trains to come and was upset that like, uh, you know, the she lie was <laughs> she was shooting up in the train station bathroom waiting for trains to come and then being like eh but no but like the fact that they kind of use the Emmett Till thing right and it's not a uh it's not necessarily a, a black worker that it gets used on like it's kind of this the same thing where it's like no like union people are going to come in and just rape your white women like it's suddenly you're, you're transitioning it from a racial thing which it very much was like if civil rights happen within the south like every woman will get impregnated by like every white woman will get impregnated by a black man. The fact that it's kind of used in this case as like, no unions are coming. All right, well, let's take that same line that we used uh, for Emmett Till or like that we used for these, you know, lynchings across the South and transition it to unions. Like I, I found that kind of profound, like uh, the fact that like, it's, it's like, listen, if, if a union happens, every white woman will be pregnant and then, you'll have a whole bunch of union people running around and you know they're bad and and james earl jones is kind of sitting there listening to it and is 
understandably in that context uh, upset by it and then like, like is, when he is, mentions the point that like if word gets out that a black man was shooting at white men like yeah that would not be good <laughs> you know i don't I guess think the real quote but i don't think the real few few clothes johnson would have cared about because they were running around and literally you know holding up uh he, he was part of uh an 11 which was a sure, sure but we're talking about the fucking movie here, i know right? so like let's but talk about a scene in the movie yeah, all right great <laughs> no it's 100 percent accurate though like it's it's like listen black people shooting a white man would be put out there to everybody in the south and yeah. and in west virginia as like listen like these are uppity people like they're they're going around and you should just crush every black worker like it's yeah. divide divide and conquer based on the american public and to have realized that um when when uh you know when sid hatfield got killed right like the new york times is is willing to sit there and be like listen it's good that he got killed and these are like non-human entities to think about how a black sid hatfield would have been treated by something like the new york times is fucking insane like it, it is this difference in in uh divide and conquer uh tactics that like the rest of the country would have probably sat there and been like oh no kill him like which they did for sid hatfield but like in a lot of like you know what i mean like everything kind of failed for these workers but like adding a racial dynamic to it is accurate that's something that you know to be to be wary of so to have that actually covered in the movie with that too was was interesting so those, those are my final thoughts on it cool all yeah. right <laughs> all right well moving to extravaganza hanging out this is a big deviation from the rest of our movies except the fact that it's made in 1987 which does gel with the rest of our uh yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear a bunch of other movies that have nothing to do with this tune in for the rest of the shows this month was all 80s fantasy movies and i'm not kidding about that we just uh oh <laughs> this is shug uh <laughs> but that's it we do a lot of stuff here subscribe to the show if, if you're new well both of you are welcome on the podcast anytime yes. oh, yeah. um would love to cool pet, pet friendly movie show but I also say we just did Labyrinth, so like check that out, I guess. <laughs> Thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? 